This After Dark podcast is sponsored by HHNUnofficial.com, the home of Halloween Horror Nights news and rumors all year round. Find us on the web at www.HHNUnofficial.com. So stop the fog machines and clear the cobwebs. It's time for another episode of the podcast that's nearly the same as all the others. Hi, Wendy Prater at Magical Journeys here, proud sponsor of the Universal After Dark podcast, how would you like to be among some of the first guests to stay at Universal's new property, the Aventura Hotel? Aventura opens this August and is another great option to consider when staying at Universal. You can get early entry benefits, transportation to and from all the parks, and have views of any of the three parks. At the end of a long day, have a drink in style on the new rooftop bar. Book a four-night stay with me to get 20% off your stay with rates as low as $116 per night along with a $50 food and drink credit. You must book by June 15th and travel dates are August 16th through December 20th. Mention this ad to stack your savings and get $25 off your deposit. Find me at WPMagicJourneys.com or any social media at WPMagicJourneys. Welcome to Universal After Dark, a Universal podcast that's not the same as all the others. Hi, and welcome to this extra spooky version of Universal After Dark. I'm your host, as usual, Amanda, and I'm joined by my two favourite, favourite people in the whole universe today. I'm joined by Nick. Hello. And I'm joined by Chris Ripley. Hello! Yay, I'm so glad to have you two on today. I love the fact that you've just said that we're basically more important than your, your friends and family. I mean, I said two of. Oh, well, we're, okay. We're more important than all the other hosts, shall we say. Yeah, well, they're not here to I defend mean, themselves or get upset. So. <laughs> I'm just going to put out there that I love Luke very much. You've got, you got to be you got to be more specific because we've got more than one Luke. I love, <laughs> know on our podcast. I love Skywalker Luke very, very, very much. <laughs> All the oh, girls love Skywalker Luke. I know they do, but sorry, ladies, like you're gonna have to go through an extreme vetting system to get to my Luke because no one's ever gonna be good enough for him. Hey, I he's mean, like my substitute brother. He he's he's got me questioning my sexuality. <laughs> that, that's how hot Luke is, and how nice he is as well. He is an angel, but he is not with us tonight because he is busy elsewhere. But he's been very, very busy lately anyway, pumping mm. out crazy, amazing content for us. Yeah. I've been blown away by it. So we were just talking off air about, I know this is a Universal podcast, but I'm just going to quickly, just because he's not here. He went and did a roller coaster tour at Bush Gardens, and we were just talking about how insanely cool that is. I mean, like, I was, it's ridiculous. I was going to say, we, I didn't get around to saying it before we was off air, but 
it, it's the small details in it that that get me. And one of them, Chris, is that um, when they go to the top of the roller coaster, I can't, what was? Can you remember what the roller coaster was called? It was Shikra. Okay, I know it was their big one, um, but they got up in like some kind of weird chairlift that's attached to the side of the roller coaster, which I'm guessing is there for evacuation purposes, not not mm. necessarily for tour groups. But it's just one of those things that you would never know about or even see because of how well hidden it is. It was just incredible. Gosh. So, yeah, go and watch that video. I just went silent in a second because I was trying to find something because I was like, am I crazy? But while I research it, I'm just going to say it anyway. I'm just going to wing it. So, has anyone seen the newer version of House on Haunted Hill? Uh, I've not seen either version. Which which what year? How, how long ago? Um, I want to say like probably not even like two thousand. Oh, hang on, House and Haunted Hill ninety nine that came out. Yeah, I think I saw it when it came I've out. Seen, I've I haven't seen, seen it, since. it actually. Yeah, I'm fairly positive that at the beginning of that remake, The Incredible Hulk's in it. Really? Just swinging it back round to Universal. I mean, I might be thinking of something like completely, like a completely different film, but I'm very, very certain that at the beginning they get in a lift, like they see the roller coaster and they get in this lift. Well, if you think about it, like that would have been filmed while Islands of Adventure was still under construction. So time timeline wise, that is probably accurate in that. It would make sense to have filmed it at that point because, you know, it, it was a closed park. Yeah, and honestly, like I feel like I'm having a Mandela effect again. Don't mean to bring the Mandela effects <laughs> up, but I, like I can't find what I'm looking for online about it. And now I feel like when we finish recording, I'm going to go and watch it to make sure I'm not crazy. But I'm very, very certain that they start filming, and I don't know what the hell it's got to do with House on Haunted Hill. Like I have no idea. And I might have made it up, but I don't think that I have. But they're like, you see the Incredible Hulk, and then all of a sudden they're in a lift, and then they're going up, and then they go onto the platform of the ride. I'm positive. Like, I'm positive that's what happens. Right. So, I just Googled it. I don't know if you know this, Amanda, actually. The House on Haunted Hill remake also featured a cameo uh, by Sinbad dressed as a genie. Um, <laughs> I don't even doubt it. <laughs> but it is definitely the Incredible Hulk that is yeah. used in that sequence. I so. love it when I'm not crazy. I, You know what? I mean, I've not seen... So I said I hadn't seen it. I, I think I did see it, or I've certainly seen bits of it. Um, but again, like when it came out, not, not at all recently. Um, and I wouldn't have even known about the Incredible Hulk at that time. So it, it wouldn't have rung any bells with me at all. But, uh, but I that feel would... like I remember watching it. Because I, like we went to the first year that Islands was opened and I remember being just like so in love with the Incredible Hulk and I just thought it was so cool looking. And it was like, I don't, I don't think it was my first big roller coaster, but it was like the biggest one that I'd been on in florida and then i remember watching this maybe like a year or two after and i was like oh my god that's the hulk and i like kind of felt like i dreamt it or i just made it up but i'm glad to see that 
like I have knowledge. I know yeah. things. Yeah. I'll I tell you something as well, interesting, in the same kind of vein as what you're saying. Yesterday I was watching, I was flicking through the channels and I stumbled upon before they were famous. You know, they do like clips of people, mm. celebs when they were like kids and stuff in different films. And um, there was uh, a TV show called Superboy that yep. was filmed at Universal. Um, Joaquin Phoenix was in one of those episodes. Yeah, didn't he, didn't he play like the evil Superman, Superman or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw that recently. I must have seen like a screenshot of it. Um, but yeah, I think at the time, wasn't he called like Leaf Phoenix? Something like that. when he you... first started his career, he wasn't called Wack One. Did you say Leaf? Leaf. Like off a tree? Yeah, you've got to remember that, you know, he was part of the Phoenix family. So they all had yeah, kooky right. names because like River Phoenix. I love River Phoenix. Yeah. So I'm sure his name was like L-E-I-F. It was. I just Googled it. Yeah. If you, he's in um, the first film, I don't think it was his first film, but the first film that he he was quite prominent in was Parenthood, which was one of Ron Howard's early films. Was like a, a big Steve Martin vehicle. Really good film actually. Um, and in that film, he's definitely Lee Phoenix. But I think towards the end of the nineties, he changed his name to Wakwan. I don't know if that's Wakwan. I don't know if that was like a middle name or something, but. I mean, it's a very complicated name to choose. It's a very common case of name to say. I mean, I only know it's that. I couldn't spell it properly. I, can make I it feel like I call it, him but... Jacqueline. Oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> That's what I call him. Which just, reminds me, just reminds me of that um, that famous sketch from um, Key and Peele with the substitute teachers. It's like one of my favourite sketches of all time. And if you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I will send it. Uh, I'll stick yeah, it in the in the Facebook page later on because it's like one of my favourite comedy sketches of all time. It just has me in tears. Um, but yeah, but I mean, funnily I... enough, I've seen Jacqueline Phoenix at Universal before. Oh, what? He's one of my celebrity sightings. Oh, he's back on his old stomping ground, was he? Well, I mean, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, really... oh, that's that guy from that film with a weird name. <laughs> I used to really like that Superboy show. I don't even remember I've never it. seen it. Like, I've never even heard of it. It used to be on, I'm almost certain, because I haven't got a, a 1989 version of TV Times in front of me. Other TV guides are available. But I want to say... Well, you're rubbish then. <laughs> tell me about it. I want to say it was like one of those shows they used to show like Saturday Tea Time. Like, if, if Baywatch wasn't on, they'd have shown Superboy. It used to be one of those kind of shows. It was quite big at the time. It was quite a popular show. It wasn't. It wasn't me anyway. Um, I don't remember it being very good, but you know, it was at that You're time. You're not when... inspiring me to go and watch it. I don't. I'm sure it's rubbish. <laughs> I really am sure it's rubbish. But it was, as Chris said, it was at that time when you know Universal Orlando was a real production hub, and they used to film a lot of stuff. I mean, I. I, I don't know. Well, they're using it now, aren't they? Because they're filming Deal or No Deal there at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the only other thing I know that they've filmed there recently has been various incarnations of TNA wrestling. And Family Feud as well. Oh, had they? Well, okay. it's like Family Fortunes, isn't it? Well, 
the American I feel version like didn't they do um, American Ninja Warrior there a couple of years ago? Possibly, because I know they moved mm. that around. Mm-hmm. I'm positive that, that it was in like the like production central, like right next to Jimmy Fallon, like production central slash New York kind of area. Wow. Positive that it's there. Wow, I'd have I got that. to um, I got to see them film uh, Ace Ventura three there. Uh, was that when it was like his son or something? Yeah, it was absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah, and not the Scottish. I don't band. think I've ever seen it. No one has. Mm-mm. It's like no one's seen Dumb and Dumber when Harry met Lloyd. No. Because that was like the prequel to Dumb and Dumber. But they still churn these crappy films out. Um, but yeah, I mean... Too... Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Nick. I was going to say, I'll tell you something that was filmed partly there for some seasons, but not all seasons, which is quite remarkable, is Sequest DSV. Mm. Because those sets were like really elaborate. I think... I think I have no idea what that is. Oh, at the time, and I'm sure Chris would vouch for that. That it was a big deal, wasn't it? It was a big deal at the it time. It was huge because it was um, Steven Spielberg. He was like the executive producer oh. or something. So I mean, it launched under a massive blaze of publicity. Like I remember, like seeing like a behind the scenes of it on, like before they started showing the series. They made like a massive, massive noise about this show and it was going to be like the new Star Trek because Star Trek The Next Generation was coming up to its like last season or something. Yeah, it was basically Star Trek Under the Sea with Roy Schneider from Jaws playing the captain. Yeah. And um, Stephanie Beecham was like the doctor in it, wasn't she? She was. And uh, I think it was one of the Deloise. Was it Peter Deloise? Oh, God. It was one of the acting clan was in it as well. Um, but, and it had a talking dolphin. When I was, um, oh yeah, God, I forgot that. <laughs> when I was researching the Orlando Halloween Horror Nights book, I spoke to a few cast members, uh, sorry, team members from back then, and quite a few of them told me these really hilarious stories about Roy Schneider, <laughs> about how grouchy he was. That doesn't surprise me. He like, always... for example, there used to be like a, um, you know, they used to do a Batlock tour, didn't they? Yeah. They used to get on a tram and they drive you around the sound stages. Mm-hmm. And they used to have to drive past his Winnebago and they weren't allowed to make any noises. And they had to tell everyone on the back of the tram, like, we're going past Mr. Snyder's caravan now. We must all be quiet. You know, right, getting back to the talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. I mean, he, he wouldn't even go on the Jaws ride either. That's sad, what? but he always seemed to be like one of those actors to me where you weren't sure how much he was acting. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you do see some people and you think, are you acting or are you just saying the lines you're told to say? Because, like, he always appeared to be like. Whenever I saw him in films, he always seemed to be like quite similar. Yeah. He didn't seem to have much range. He always seemed to be a bit grumpy. So it wouldn't surprise me that he was actually just grumpy. Well, I've heard a lot of stories of how um, Richard Dreyfus is meant to be like really annoying person to be around. Mm. And that Robert Shaw was this dedicated method actor. So I would imagine that if I was stuck on a boat with them two, I'd probably be incredibly pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
I don't know what what you guys are talking about, Owl. Jaws. Like, I have no idea. Jaws. I know Jaws, but like everyone else that you're talking about, no idea. Okay, sorry. Well, welcome to Generation X After Dark. <laughs> welcome to the making of Jaws After Dark. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah, so, so Luke did some videos. So he Luke, did a, Luke did some videos. He, he then did a video um, about a week or so later. Cause he normally does a video a week, and his mm-hmm. latest video at the time of recording this. So we're going to date this episode already. Um, he went to he went around the park. Mm-hmm. Who who was it he went around with? He was with um, my lovely friend Steve. Well, I know, yeah, but I, so I, I know his name's Steve, but I, like, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure who he was. Is he just a friend of Luke's or is he? Well, he's, he's a friend of me and Luke. And so Steve has his own company called Thrill Seekers Paradise, where he goes and does all kind of crazy stuff around Orlando. Um, he's also just traveled to Thailand and did some cool stuff over there, but he does like tours and like, he'll show you cool things to do in Orlando outside of the parks. So I will post a link to his stuff in our group later because Steve is awesome. Like I love Steve so, so much. He's so much fun, but he was hanging out with Steve for the day. And so they went and did some Halloween horror nights updates in the park Mm -hmm. to see what kind of props are out for the scare zones and lighting and things like that. And then they took a little trip over to Aventura. They did. So it looks awesome. Like, I know that we spoke quite a bit about the opening day on the last episode, but oh my God, this hotel. I've never been more glad to have booked into a new hotel. It actually does look like a deluxe, doesn't it? It does. Like, see, I can't actually believe how cheaply that I got it for. And I'm like, I don't understand where where it's going to be lacking to kind of justify the small price that I paid. Because it just looks stunning. Like, they went up to Bar 17 Bistro, which is the rooftop bar, and the views from up there are absolutely beautiful. They went and had something to eat in the Urban Pantry. So they both got a different burger to try, and they said it was the best burgers that they'd had on property. Mm. which you know there's there's quite a few different good places to get a burger at universal and city walk so and you know you've got the hard rock too hard rock do awesome burgers so i'm told so it just it just everything about it looks amazing i mean a, a known business plan is to basically get lots of people in at a very low cost and for those people to go away and talk about how marvelous it is and how great it is, and to inspire other people to want to book it, and then slowly over time just up the prices. I wouldn't even be mad about that. Like, I literally wouldn't be mad about it. Because when I look at the price, like Sapphire Falls, of all the on-site hotels that I've stayed at so far, and I've stayed at the majority of them, is my favourite, theme-wise. And I think it's got a good price on it too. But if if I want to go twice a year, it's cheaper for me to stay in Cabana. However, this was even cheaper for me than Cabana was. And I wouldn't honestly mind paying more than what I'd pay at Sapphire Falls to stay there. Obviously, without actually experiencing it myself yet. Like, I'll give the actual verdict on that when I get back. But from just seeing things that people have posted, and Luke's video especially, I'd be willing to pay quite a bit more than what I did. The weird thing is, though, because I agree with Chris, that when we were talking about this on the last episode... I said that to you, 
um, like not exactly that, but but similar that maybe because it's it's just newly open, that's why the prices are lower. But looking to to next um, September October time, where we're talking about Halloween Horror Nights, mm-hmm. and I can get Aventura now for about ten quid less than Cabana Bay. Mm-hmm. And it is it's listed in the same bracket as Cabana Bay is, so like a prime value hotel. Mm. The whole thing just shocks me, honestly. I don't, I don't understand it, but it just looks beautiful. And I'm honestly, I think when I first booked it, I was a bit like, well, I know that I need to stay there so that I can try it. I like staying in the hotels when they open, just to see what they're like. But I'm a little bit like a bit nervous. I wasn't nervous about Sapphire Falls. I knew Sapphire Falls was going to be gorgeous because it was going to be Caribbean themed. But I was a bit like, uh, what if it's like really bare what if there's like no life to it what if it's really like clinical and weird but absolutely everything i've seen and every review that i've read it's all amazing everything about it's fantastic mm. so i'm I'm very sad that luke can't be on today to tell us about his own personal experiences but if you go and watch his most recent video you'll see how stunning it looks it looks absolutely gorgeous. And if you want to know about the beers, you can contact Steve, and Steve will tell you what the beers are like for now until I get there in September. He had the same... He was drinking one of the beers that I tried at the NBC Sports Bar and Grill. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called now, but when he said the name, I was like, oh, yeah, I had that. It's a local beer. It uh-huh. was a Florida beer. Um, but, yeah, that was quite nice. So it seems like they've got a similar... It sounds like they've got a similar kind of range of beers, like they've got a, a bit of a selection there. So. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any Bud Light yet, honestly. And I'd ask Luke to check that. So Luke and Steve were both Snapchatting me the other day when they were there, and I was, like, in tears because I, was, I had massive FOMO. I just wanted to be <laughs> with them, and I was so upset. So they Snapchatting me all night, and I'm like, Luke, you showed me all these beers, but I'm not seeing any Bud Light, so can you double-check? And he was like, um, I can't see any Bud Light, but they have PBR, and I was like, I will pass. <laughs> I'll definitely pass on that. But they have Blue Moon, and Blue Moon is another one of my favourites. So I'll be happy. And I'm sure they do sell Bud Light anyway. They probably just don't have it on tap. But I it say, just I think looks gorgeous. In, in Finnegan's, they have Blue Moon on tap, but I don't think they have Bud Light on tap. They do have Bud Light on tap. Oh, well, I had a Blue Moon anyway. I like to mix it up on my 12 o'clock beers. So one day I'll have a Bud Light, next day I'll have a Blue Moon, and I'll have a Duff... Oh my god, it's almost Dufftober fest time. It is almost Dufftober fest time. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I haven't seen the official date yet, but I'm so excited. For alcoholics, it is it is the equivalent to pumpkin spice latte. Absolutely, like Which I've never I had get one. So actually. excited every year for this Dufftober fest. It is so delish, and it makes day and scream so much nicer. Love it. I'm so excited. I might, I might have one this year, a pumpkin spice latte. Did you not latte. try it? Oh, a pumpkin spice latte. Wait, what? Yeah, I've never had one, so I might have one what? this year and, and just feel myself in Starbucks drinking one for the first time. Ryan from Theme Park Trader will be screaming. Oh, I know, but it's okay because um, he knows that I love Stitch and we're going to do a four-hour podcast about Stitch. So when he listens to this, he'll be, he'll be okay. I'm happy to um, But I will. Well, speaking will of beers, right? I mm. haven't even asked everyone what they're drinking. Oh shit! Yeah like we just we just went into it like super hard on this episode so nick 
What are you drinking? The I, I, thing is, I'm not even drinking beer. That's that's the annoying ah, thing. What? I know, and I should be because it's a, it's a what's it day, isn't it? It's, it's when we recall this, it's a bank holiday. But um, oh, no, yeah. I'm just I'm just drinking Pepsi Max. Sorry. Oh, Chris, are you drinking anything more exciting? Mm, unfortunately, not. I just had some tonic water. Oh, I do like tonic what? water. People, what? people like don't think it's a good choice. I, I like tonic water. You two are mental. You are the kind of guys that like a Beverly. Uh, I definitely <laughs> do not like a Beverly. Like I feel like you secretly <laughs> do like Beverly. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I will be the wild one on the podcast then, shall Please. I? As usual. So last week I was like, "That's it. I am not drinking anymore until I go on holiday. I need to focus on being fit and fitting into my shorts." I'm broken. I have got a Budweiser, and I am not sorry. A full-on bud, not a not a light. A full, a full whack bud is what I've got Fair in play. an aluminium bottle. Fair play. So I'm being very, very naughty, but I feel like celebrating because we've had so much cool things happen this week. So we have had our final house announcement for Halloween Horror Nights. So it is now officially spooky season. <laughs> Yeah. And this was a like I like you know we we spoke about what was coming in previous episodes anyway, mm. and all what was rumored to be coming. But I kind of imagined that the last house that you announce would be like a, a big one. It'd be like a super big, super interesting house, and I do think that it is an interesting house. The house is Scary Tales, by the way. So it's another chapter of Scary Tales, and it's called Scary Tales Deadly Ever After. So we, we've had it quite a few times at Halloween Horror Nights before, haven't we, Chris, in different different kind of variations? Yeah, we have scare zones and houses, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the very first year that I went to Halloween Horror Nights was like the second Scary Tales house. So it was back in two thousand and two. I'm sure it was just called Scary Tales Two. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had like a fancy name to it. I think it was literally Scary Tales Two. Not even um, like Electric Boogaloo. No, I'm not <laughs> in Electric Boogaloo. I think it was literally just Scary Tales Two, and it was in Islands of Adventure. Ooh. I know. Like and you. you know where it was? It was in um in Popeyes um. The, the Build, raft, Popeye's raft one. The barges. Build raft barges, yeah. That is it. It was in that queue. And I thought it was pretty cool. I really, really enjoyed the um, the steampunk scary tale zone that we had at Halloween Horror Nights 3.5, the screampunk one. That was really cool. And I, I always feel like these, the way that they kind of use the fairy tales is cool. So in this particular version, we're going to have the Wicked Witch of the West, which I'm assuming is where people had began rumours that this was going to be an Oz-themed house. Because that was mm. rumoured for quite a while, wasn't it? Is that Elfelva bit or whatever? I can't remember how to pronounce her name. I mean, Is I'm in the very first at pronouncing names. Fair play. But it was very heavily rumoured that this was going to be an Oz house. It's not going to be that. So Wicked Witch of the West has gotten all of the... She's taken over fairy tale 
land and she is influencing everything in an evil way and i think that sounds pretty interesting because i think that there's there's many different things that they could do with a scary tales kind of house but i think this one sounds cool so i mean when you said about it being an oz themed house that actually brought up what i think they should do as a house one year and it's not wizard of oz but it's actually oz um, the HBO prison drama from the 90s. I think that would make a fascinating um, like house for Halloween Horror Nights. I mean, it is flipping scary, that show. You just walk around and see people getting shanked and, you know, raped and stuff. <laughs> like, it will, be, it will be horrendous. I but, mean, they've had prison-themed houses before. Well, there you go, then. That's what they should do with Oz. Um, but, what I will say about this announcement, so being kind of, um, you know, not really that au fait with um, the history of Halloween Horror Nights, I wasn't aware that it had actually been used um, a few times previously. I know the idea of fairy tales, like a twisted version of fairy tales, isn't in itself un- that unique. Um, but I didn't realise it had been a concept that had been used quite as much as it as it had been. So that does kind of explain a bit of the muted response. Because I've seen I've not seen anyone be as po- I thought people were going to be quite positive about it, but I've not really seen that. But I mean, I I don't right basically and I'm going to get into this a little bit later in the episode, but this was announced on a live stream that a few members of the the creative team at Universal were doing. So they were doing this live stream, answering some questions, giving us some information about other houses, and then they dropped the announcements on there. And I feel like because people were, like, super excited about the stream, they were super excited about all this additional information that we were getting, and because we'd literally had the Blumhouse announcement the day before, I think it was just kind of a lot in one go. Yeah, did you not? I thought that was a bit bit messy. Yeah. Could like, have been handled I, a bit better. I think so, because I'd forgotten that they were going to be doing this live stream because they posted out in the annual Passholder group a couple of months ago that they were going to be doing it and did everyone have any questions. And I'd just completely forgotten about it. So they did this Blumhouse announcement and then I recorded my video for that, released that, and literally the day that I released, or the day that I was like planning to release it, they do this live stream while I'm at work, and I'm like, and I'm having like 75 messages, like, oh my god, have you seen this? Oh my god, have you seen that? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the the what I was told was that the house announcements were going to be basically the same as how they had been handled the year previously, in that all of the big IP hard-hitting houses that have got the followers would be slowly released uh, at the very beginning of the season, so you're sort of April, May, June time, and then towards the end of the um, announcement season, so you mark, you're, you're, sorry, you're at August, that was when they were going to release all of the original houses, because um, that was similar to the way they done it last year. Mm. But it didn't happen that way. It was all mixed up. You had some uh, original ones being announced early on, like Dead Exposure. Then you had uh, others all being sort of 
rather than it being week after week after week, some of them happening in the same week or very close to each other. And all I can guess is that it was just they had sort of IP problems, just people not signing off on stuff. Yeah, it, it did seem it did seem a bit odd. And I think the thing that <clears throat> so not the thing that I found frustrating is that you know there'd been a lot of talk, and we'd obviously talked about it on here as well about how this was um, quite an 80s themed um, event. And the understanding was that it was 80s themed because all the stuff that had been announced, you know, obviously Stranger Things is famously set in the 80s. And all the scare zones and stuff like that had also been um, set around the same kind of timeline. So although it wasn't like explicit, this is, you know, the theme of this year's event is 80s, Everything that was being announced seemed to have a similar kind of thing. Um, and obviously we talked, you know, when we were looking at, you know, the remaining houses and, and what hadn't been announced, we had mentioned the fact that there was no American Horror Stories. And I, mm. you know, had said, or I can't remember if it was me or Amanda had said about the fact that, you know, with an AC theme, it doesn't really fit. Um, and, you know, maybe they haven't got the license anymore because, you know, they don't normally publicly talk too much about how long they sign these licenses for, for these properties. But to me, it made sense if they were going to do an 80s-themed event not to have American Horror Stories, because there hasn't been a season of that show that was really set in the 80s uh, properly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I could accept that. But with the, the final two house announcements... And also, I suppose, to a lesser extent, Chucky, because we weren't sure if that was going to be based on the current franchise of Chucky or whether it was going to be based on uh, the original um, trilogy of films. Um, But with those announcements of of Bloomhouse and Scary Tales, that completely disregarded the 80s theme for me. So it's a half-arsed theme. And also, that then ask the question, well, why didn't they do American Horror Stories this year? Mm-hmm. Like, part of me kind of feels like they were smart with not doing American Horror Story this year because we've got such big ideas like Stranger Things and like Trick or Treat and like Halloween. I feel like American Horror Story could be saved for maybe next year's event when, one, we've got a better season to work off of than Cult. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, this, this, um, is it Apocalypse is the new season, uh-huh. which is like the crossover. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there with that, but I mean, they could have done something with it, surely. Yeah. Well, there was rumours it was going to be a scare zone, wasn't there? Mm. I think it could have worked okay, scare zone, like the certain scenes in Cult that could have. You know, like the the masks that they use are awesome. They're really really cool, and I think some of that would work well in the house. But I think the over the overall theme of cult, I just don't personally think that would have made a great house. Mm. So I do think that like I love American Horror Story, and I'd I'd like to see it again. But I do think that having Stranger Things this year. 
it would be smart to have American Horror Story next year instead. If they do still have a license with them, we, I, like, I don't even know if they do. Well, it'll be interesting now because let's, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. say it has expired, it has lapsed. You know, when they come to the negotiating table, they'll be negotiating with Disney. Oh. Realistically, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, like, Fox will still be its thing and FX will still be its thing, but they will both be owned by Disney by the time that IP negotiations come around later this year, early next year. So that hmm. will be interesting if if they if they haven't. And I mean, the thing is, like, I know because the other thing with with American Horror Stories and the fact that it's been so prominent for the last few years is the fact that I think some parts of the community were kind of worried about fatigue in what we saw with like The Walking Dead. But I think the thing that separates, and I mean, and I've got, I can up my only um, understanding of, of the Walking Dead um, houses that have been at Halloween Horror Nights from Chris's book and from uh, people that have gone to the event, but they didn't seem to really stray too far every year. They seem to be fairly similar. I think that's the thing with zombies altogether, though, honestly. Mm. Like, Unless you're going to do something like Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. There's only so far that you can go with a zombie house before they all look. And especially because they couldn't use the likenesses of the characters. Yes. It Like, there's only so so much that they could do. So you'd have the sets and the sets are cool. But personally, as someone who isn't, a, like, I can appreciate Walking Dead. And I, like, I dip in and out of watching it. But as someone who hasn't seen every season, hasn't seen any episode, those sets could have been anything to me. They were cool. They looked <laughs> awesome. But I, like, I wouldn't. If you said to me, "This is just a generic zombie house, Amanda," I'd be like, "Okay." My new book, the um, I, the I start each chapter when I'm talking about Hollywood about how each event has its own icon. So one year it's Universal's Hollywood, um, Halloween Horror, Halloween Horror Nights. The Walking Dead. That's the, the title of the chapter. Next chapter, same title, The Walking Dead. And then I put in brackets again. In bracket. <laughs> and then the next chapter, same thing again. And then I put brackets. Oh, yeah, come back even more brackets. <laughs> well, first off, I really thought that you were going to say that you started each chapter with a specific word and that all these words would add up to a secret sentence for one. That would be pretty cool. But that two, is from my favourite film, The Ghost. Well, there you go. I mean, you could have sneakily done it. I'm now going to read the first word of every paragraph and whatever sentence that comes up with, I'm going to be convinced that you're like Illuminati. But the, <laughs> but the fact is, is that unlike The Walking Dead, every season of American Horror Stories is different. So even look at the house last year. Um, I mean, I... I really enjoyed that house, but the problem in some ways with that is that they condensed three seasons of that show in one house. And it was a big house, admittedly, but you could have quite easily stretched that to either been like... I don't think they could, they could have done an asylum for a whole house. Um, but I, I feel like they definitely could have. I'm not sure. Right, there's so much going on in Asylum. And there's so many different stories that happen. Have you mm. watched it recently? No, I haven't seen it since I first watched it. Okay, so if you go back and, and re-watch it mm. sometime, 
you'll remember all of the different stories that are that are incorporated in the season. Mm. So at first, I was like, oh, like I don't know what they could do in Asylum, really. And then when I was watching it, I was like, no, this should have its own house because you've got aliens, you've got Bloody Face, you've got the Doctor, you've got the nun being possessed by a demon. Oh, the young man, yeah. Like, there's literally so many different stories. You've got the woman who thinks that she is Anne Frank. I completely forgot about the Father Christmas thing. Yeah, the Father Christmas thing. Like, there's literally so, so many. Like, the Doctor alone, you could do, like, four or five different scenes with. I did like the scene that we we did get with him, but I know what you mean. I, I just felt that... Like, I was getting to the end of it, and I was like, oh, this is great. And then it ended, and I was like, oh, I could have probably done with this a bit more. Mainly because I hadn't seen the other two seasons. Um, so it was uh, Coven and Roanoke, wasn't it, with mm-hmm. the other two? Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I wasn't familiar with those seasons, so it was a little bit of a, a wish-wash for me. But my point is, is that with American Horror Stories, I, I feel that they can do a lot more with it while something like The Walking Dead, you are a bit stuck because The Walking Dead, I mean, I've not watched it since I think, I think season three was when I dipped out. I'd, I'd had enough at that point. And I I keep, I, I read things about it. So I know, you know, things that have happened, but the first season they're in one location, aren't they? Then the second season, they're pretty much on the farm. And in the third season, mm-hmm. they then find the other um, community. I can't remember what they it was cool now, but where the governor was and that. Um, mm-hmm. But, th- th- like, sometimes, like, seasons will still be in the same place. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that. Whilst American Horror Story, every year, yes, all right, the cast was pretty much the same, but every year was a new setting with new characters, with a whole new story. You know, every year you could do something with it. Walking Dead, you don't really have that luxury. You know, they just had it there because it was really shit hot. Mm-hmm. You know, like Walking Dead now, uh, sorry, Walking Dead at the time was probably equivalent to Stranger Things and how ingrained in pop culture it was. I think they've been very smart to do Stranger Things this year. Yeah. You know, because it is still so popular, even though the third season's not going to be coming out till next year, but it's still such a big popular. Um, pop culture icon at the moment that it's good for them to get it but at at what cost and what we got you know we've got Stranger Things which is a big one you've got Killer Clowns from Outer Space which is a very cult title Uh you've got Halloween for um, A Good Day to Die Hard um, (laughs) which again like it's one of those things where I've never really had that much interest in the franchise. And I know that America, uh, that Halloween 4 is seen as one of the, the better sequels in the series, but it still seems a bit odd to kind of go to the fourth one in a franchise. Um, you've got the first Poltergeist, which, you know, uh, it's kind of historically pretty good, but it's no The Shining. Well, in terms of like, I've got like quite a bit to say about about Poltergeist, but like I want to save that for like a little bit later. But okay. like I, I do, I do really, really like Poltergeist, and I've got like very good things to say about it. But I like, I feel as though it wouldn't have mattered 
really to any other gen- just general fan that's coming to the event who's like not super super into it and like isn't like obsessed with it in the kind of way that we are who just likes visiting Halloween Horror Nights or maybe just like Stranger Things I think it wouldn't have mattered what else we had other than Stranger Things yeah that's and it. that's why I think that they saved American Horror Story yeah, hopefully you're right. And I mean, the thing is, like, going back to The Shining last year, I mean, even though I hadn't seen it by the time I'd gone to the house, The Shining is such a huge milestone in, in uh, American cinema, full stop, that even though it was as old as it was, it was still, it would, would have still drawn people in because it would have been that kind of like nostalgia wow factor that they're actually doing something with The Shining. I just don't feel you've got that with any of the IPs this year. And then we've got Chucky and we've got, you know, another version of Blumhouse. And what have we got this year? Is it The First Purge and Happy Death Death Day? Uh I mean, right, I try and stay super, super positive about, like, everything that comes to the event. I don't love Happy Death Day. Like, it's no secret that I don't love Happy Death Day. I do really like all of the Purge films. I haven't seen the first Purge yet, so I definitely need to watch that before I go. I can understand why people are getting that Walking Dead effect from the Purge. But I feel like this partnership with Blumhouse is so important. And I feel like only good things are going to come from it. That I can deal with my least exciting house of the year being the one half of Blumhouse that I like I don't really love the film of because we have so much more amazing things at the event. I mean, I've seen the first purge. In fact it's still the only purge that I've sat all the way through. I am gonna go back and watch the others, but I specifically went for that one because it was the prequel. So I was like, you know, I can get away with this. Um and it was a good fit like I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's it's low budget, bit schlocky, but you know it you kind of know what you're going to get with it. And, you know, it was a bit of a kind of cultural indication of how I think the world sees America at the moment in a lot of ways. Like, I think it was hammering a few of those messages a little bit too close to the bone. But regardless, I don't think it's a particularly scary film. I think the concept itself is a bit horrific in terms well, of, right. you know, we could, we could see this in reality one day, but... It's not a traditional horror film. Because I haven't seen it, I don't know this, but the character that's featured in a lot of the artwork is the guy that's wearing like the the full the full face mask. It looks like a gas mask type of thing. Mm-hmm. It, like, is he in the film a lot? No, not really. Oh, really? No, I'm, no, I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll have to look, go back and look at the promotion material, but that doesn't scream like something that... Because he looks terrifying. Like, he yeah. looks really scary. Yeah. No, not doesn't stick out from my memories of it. Um, but I, th- I mean, I thought, it was a, I thought it was a good film, but I just didn't find it particularly scary. Um, and I don't know how it compares to the other films in the series in terms of it being... You know, I don't know if they're more of a horror film than this one was, but... To me, it wasn't that much. You know, there was tension and stuff, but I didn't think it was. There was a couple of jump scares in the film, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, are they starting to fall into a pretty regular formula now, though? You know, 
every year or every other year a Halloween house, a mashup house. Half of the houses are original. Um, you know, are, are they starting to almost be very predictable of what's going to be there every year? I mean, I don't honestly mind that. Oh, and an, and an older classic house like Paul like that. I literally, mm. I was just going to say my favourite thing that we're having the last few years is that we always have a classic house, and I think that they're important. They're maybe not as like super important to like I say the gen- like the generic person who isn't super into horror or that, but as an actual genuine horror fan, I find those houses really important. And I understand that you're going to have, like, I don't for one second think that we're not going to have The Purge again because we've got a Purge TV show coming. Which I've just found out it's going to be on Amazon Prime in the UK. Oh. So we are going to be able to watch it. And I think it's a day later than the American broadcast, so we'll be able to be quite up to date with it. Well, may I just say, Nick, that Amanda and I knew about The Purge TV show even before it was Uh written. We did indeed. Show offs. <laughs> <laughs> we can't help who we are. <laughs> the, the thing is, like this this Blumhouse thing, like I, I still can't get my head around the fact that they're going after a film which came. When did Happy Death Day come out? Was it last Halloween? Yeah. So they've they've focused on. So that's one of the houses that's featured, and also one one of the films that's featured in the house. And the other one is The First Purge, which came out for the 4th of July weekend, right? So those films are are what are going to be featured this year. And yet, arguably, their most famous franchise film is coming out this year. And they're not focusing on it at all. But this is why I feel like this partnership is so important because there's so many films from Blumhouse that we could use that maybe this is just the stepping stone to solidify that partnership in the future so that we can get things like the new Halloween so that we can get future Insidious films or like... And it, like I know that Split is like a weird one, and it's weirdly rumored for a while. I still can't imagine that Split would would ever come and ever be a house. But you've got things like Ouija. Like there's there's quite a few, and you know Blumhouse just churn films out all the time, and they're absolutely brilliant at what they do. I do think that this can only mean good things for the I've, event. I've got a lot of respect for them. Even though I've not watched a lot of Blumhouse films, I think the model that they've created is impressive, really impressive. And I like the fact that they're branching out a little bit now as well, because, you know, next, I don't know if it's next year it's coming out. I know it's going to be starting filming soon, but they're doing a comic book movie. They're doing ah. Spawn, which um, is, I suppose, a little bit similar to The Crow in, in some ways, in that. Oh. It's about um, someone who's murdered, and he he's he's given the chance to come back to um, you know correct the vengeance on Earth, and he's a, basically he's he becomes a bit of a demon. Um, I mean, Spawn in the in the nineties was this huge comic phenomenon, like it, it was absolutely massive for 
about 10 years. Oh, really? Huge, yeah. Like, it spawned a toy company. Um, you know, it spawned, uh, pardon the pun, uh, a crappy film, but a film <laughs> nonetheless. It had an animated series on HBO. I mean, it was a huge thing in terms of comic books. I think at the time, like, it was one of the biggest selling debut comics of all time. Like, it was, it was massive. It's nowhere near as popular as that now. They've been trying to make a new Spawn film since the first one came out. But the guy who owns it has been so uh, protective of it and wanted to do things his way. And that's why it's never happened. And it's only because, you know, Blumhouse are giving him that freedom mm-hmm. to do it um, that he's now making another film. And Jamie Foxx is playing Spawn. Because this sounds so cool. He was one of the um, the first major African American characters in comic books. Like they'd all, you know, there'd, there'd been various, um, you know, people of color in comic books. It wasn't like that was the unique thing, but I think it was the first time that a major character was, was kind of given his lead title. I think Luke Cage may have been the only other one in the seventies, and that was more of a kind of. You know, black exploitation was was like the big thing at the time, and so it was really kind of like paying off of that. But Spawn was the first time like a, a hero was being created or comic books being created specifically for that. So, um, it, you know, it, it could be really good, but um, you know, it's good that they're they're kind of going a little bit out of that comfort zone. I still think they should have really done something with Get Out. Well, right. I, I hear people say this all the time, and Chris, your side tells me that you're on the same wavelength as me. Yeah, that <laughs> I feel as though just because something is a good film and it's creepy doesn't mean that it's going to be a good house. Like, I don't understand how they could turn Get Out into a house. Just jump scares. But how? Why haven't people jump out and scare you? Yeah, but like, <laughs> I just, I just don't know. Like, whenever people are talking about it, I'm like, um, I don't know if I watch the same film as you guys because I can't actually imagine being a house. Well, you could, you could do it. Like, if you if you look at that sequence in the film where he's he's hypnotized, and it all kind of goes a bit crazy, doesn't it? And you're in his like subconscious, and it's all black, and you know you can't really see much, and you know. It could be just something like that. It could just be playing off on that on that illusion of like not knowing what's going on and what's real and what's what's not. Do you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. Like as a, again, it's another film which isn't particularly scary, but it's got a scary kind of message to it. That's what the purge is to me. It's not a scary film, but it's the message itself is quite scary. It's the fact that well, what they're doing is scary. I spoke to a friend of mine who's got connections with Bloomhouse and he emailed me a list of everything that's in production right now. And there are lots and lots of things in production right now. It has exploded uh, at Bloomhouse. So, so some of the ones that are in production right now, I mean, shout out if you've heard of any of these. Um, Hurt, Cam, Sharp Objects, The Gallows. Sharp Objects is an HBO series, isn't it? Okay. That's Sweetheart. Um, the Gallows was that came out recently. This is Gallows Two, sorry. Okay. So that was about someone who all I know about that film was it involved a hangman's noose that killed people. Okay. 
Okay. Prey, Glass. Glass is the follow-up to Split. Uh-huh. But Glass... See, the, the problem with that, and the, and the thing with Split, like you were saying there earlier, Amanda, is the fact that there's that legal... Not, not legal wrangling, but it's the fact that it uses characters that are in Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Or the... It was Unbreakable, it wasn't Sixth Sense. Yeah. Um, which is Disney. So that has to... Like, this sequel is being done in conjunction or under licence from Disney. Huh. So that would make... the You know, however scary that film is, if it is at all, that would make that being a, a house a bit awkward. Happy Death Day 2. Oh, no. In brackets. In brackets. Uh, filming has finished. Right, how could they do a Happy Death Day 2? I haven't seen Happy Death Day 1, so I wouldn't know. Well, I mean, I don't think that they, I don't think that that's going to work, honestly. And this, this, this list goes person. on and on. But there's Creep 3. Uh, right, okay, so Creep. I was convinced that I'd seen it and that it was a great film. And I don't know what I was confusing it with. I have absolutely no idea what the hell I was confusing it with. But I was like, yeah, everyone watch Creep. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. And then there was a few days that I took off sick from work. I was really, really ill, like the end of last year. And I was like, I'm going to watch Creep again because I know that I really liked it and that might cheer me up. Terrible. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is that I've seen that I thought was Creep, but it was not that. Uh, it's like when I when Whitey recommended that I watched The Babadook and how scary that was. Oh, yeah. And I laughed at that film. Didn't even um, make it through that whole film. I won't read the whole list, but just I've just logged on to Box Office Mojo, and two things that are really startling have just jumped out of me. The first purge, like you were just talking about, um, the budget on that was $13 million, oh. and so far that's grossed more than $250 million. I don't even doubt that, you know? And I think it was a few episodes ago I was talking about the purge and Saw, and I was like, these are the horror films of this new generation, I think. Mm. Like, these are going to be popular regardless because I know that, like, I, well, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say I was alive in the 70s and that, like, Halloween is, like, the film of my generation because it's certainly not. But I can appreciate every horror film because I'm a, I'm a, a horror, an actual horror fan, whereas people who will go to the cinema to see a scary film but don't love scary films will always watch things like The Purge, Paranormal Activity, Saw. They will always go and watch those films. Mm. And that's why Saw's queue was so freaking long last year, not just because it was at the front of the house. If you looked at the people that were in line for it, it was all people like 16 to like 23, 24 years old. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're absolutely spot on. But my my um, my additional point to that is that how cheaply these films are made and how much money they're they're bringing in? For example, Unfriended Dark Web was made for a million pound, a million dollars, what? and it's made twenty five million. What? Now twenty five million is not a lot in comparison to like Avengers or whatever. But mm. when your budget is only a million, uh-huh. these are the sort of statistics that you need to be as a company to bring the big bucks in. And if you look at the original horror films, which were essentially the Universal monsters. They were made on shoestring budgets and grossed millions upon millions. So that's probably another reason why 
your dark universe didn't work because they were trying to go in with a huge budget to try and bring in massive amount of money and it just didn't work. Absolutely. Horror should be low budget and to speculate higher. And that, and that's the thing. Uh-huh. Like, there's been very few and there are a few films that Blumhouse have done that haven't done well. In fact, the one that you love, Amanda, what was the one that you like? The, the Town That Dreaded Sundown, the yeah. requel. Yeah. Now, that didn't do... That didn't make that much money at the box office. I think it probably... I think, I'm sure I've read it grossed less than a million dollars. But it just... I think it just about covered its production budget. But, but the thing I feel is, like that's because that's a, in the same kind of vein as a classic. Like, The Town That Dreaded Sundown was, if not the first slasher, one of the very first slashes. It came out before Halloween came out. And... I just don't feel like that is something that sells anymore to the general like moviegoer. I, well, the, the the problem is with anything, and this is something now that, that Blumhouse doesn't have the problem with, but they, they're always the problem with this stuff is distribution, and it's getting your film in in like front of people. So that film didn't have that that chance. It's not like it was given a proper release and it flopped. It wasn't really given a proper release, so it didn't have the mm. chance to do it. But as Chris said, what, what Blumhouse do is they make these films on low budgets. I, mean, I can't remember how much... If you, I don't know if you can see it, but if you can see how much Get Out costs to make. But I'm sure its budget was about $3 million. It, it was I mean, hardly anything, and it tr- made 10 times truth, that. Truth or Dare, $3.5 million budget. And it's making over 120 million. Yeah. Um, Get Out was five million, five million. <laughs> and brought in nearly half a billion. What? You see what I mean? Like that's that's <laughs> that's the thing. And what they do, I mean, I think this new Spawn film, I'm sure this budget for Spawn is about five million. It's like for a superhero film, it's got a tiny budget, and yet I'm sure they'll make it look like a, a top-notch film i don't doubt it especially when you're saying that like it's has similarities to the crow like i truly believe other than et like well i don't have a top film i have a top three film so it's et labyrinth and the crow so those <laughs> three films are my or like and they're very different to each other but i think the crow is an absolute masterpiece and I don't imagine, like, I don't know facts and figures like you guys do. I don't imagine that The Crow's budget was very big, but I I like that. I like that kind of look to a film. Yeah, The Crow the crow had a, a minuscule budget. I mean, let's be honest, the only reason The Crow did anything of note, unfortunately, was because Brandon Lee died. Because at that time, Brandon Lee was making straight-to-video films. The Crow was, uh-huh. a, a bit, The Crow was based on a comic book, but it was based on a, a, a very low budget or, or low selling comic book. And it wasn't, you know, there was no big expectations about this film. But it soon became this kind of pop culture phenomenon because uh-huh. it then had, unfortunately, this, this gruesome story behind it. So it actually got a life of its own. And it's why The Crow, the rest of The Crow series didn't really do anything. Do you know yeah. it's being remade next year? Well, it's not anymore. No, nah, it keeps. It's they, not anymore. No, nah, it's all falling apart again for like about the twelfth time. Thank God. It was supposed to be Jason Momoa. I mean, I love Jason Momoa. He's like in my top three favorite men 
on Earth with Chris Pratt and Chad from Newfound Glory. But, <laughs> like, I'm just putting that out there, Chad from Newfound Glory, if you're listening, like, hi. Um, but as much as I love Jason Momoa, I don't think that anything should ever touch the crow, ever. If you if you really like Jason Momoa, you should go and um, YouTube um, the opening title sequence to Baywatch Hawaii. And what? He was what? he was one of the stars of Baywatch Hawaii back in the well, late Well, I mean, I know what I'm watching when we finish recording. Yeah. Yeah, Didn't even quite... know that existed. Oh, do you not know about Baywatch Nights either? I've heard of that one. Baywatch Nights was the, was when the X-Files was popular, so they decided, what can we do if the X-Files is popular and Baywatch isn't popular? Oh, yeah, we'll let Mitch Buchanan open up a detective agency and we'll have it all about sci-fi stuff. It, oh, I feel like I remember you talking about this before. It's, it's incredible. But, yeah, Baywatch, he was a star of Baywatch Hawaii. I only found this out <laughs> recently, and it's it's absolutely hilarious. Um, well, I can't but whenever anyone ever asks me, like, what's one thing that you would, like, desperately love to see, like, in a in a dream world, what would you love to see at Halloween Horror Nights? And my answer is always, I'd love to see Devil's Night from the Crow as a scare zone. Yeah, I, I, I've got to be honest, like, I, I'm, I've not watched the Crow back in about 15 years, but... I, I, th- I think the film didn't really live up to the hype for me. I get why people like it, and I've done the Halloween thing of like going to a party dressed as uh, Eric Draven just because it's a very easy costume to put together. But I mean, I um, probably dress like Eric Draven once a month, <laughs> <laughs> like as a minimum. I did. I did go through an absolute guy liner phase for for quite a while, but um, not not the rest of the makeup. But. Um, yeah, I just I, I get why people like it. I think Hot Topic's got a lot to do with it as well, but The Crow to me just isn't one of those beloved franchises. But again, like, you know... I mean, I, I don't love the franchise. I just love the original. No, no, no. But, you know, I, I think it's become a much bigger sum of its parts regardless. I mean, I, you know, I personally don't think that the original film is, is all that great, but I, I do understand yeah, why, why people... <laughs> <laughs> why people love it and that's the thing that, that's what I think is great about film in general is that you know there's films that are, are popular and enjoyed by lots of people like you know Avengers and stuff like that um, and there's stuff that only like a few people might like you know I know Tron Legacy and I always talk about Tron Legacy I know Tron Legacy is not a great film but to me it's what I want it to be and I love it for what it is but I appreciate that a lot of people just go it's just shit do you know what I mean? Like, and that's that's the that's the beauty of of like being of having opinions and stuff like that is that you don't need a film to be smashing box office records as long as you get enjoyment from it. And that mm-hmm. is what they do so well at Blumhouse is that they are able to make these films. And the thing is, if they make a film and it, it's got a budget of like five million and it only brings in half a million dollars, all right, that film's flopped. They lost money on it. But they will have made that money and more on something else that they've done mm. because of how they they do it. And it's quite unusual now in this day and age of like the Hollywood, you know, the big Hollywood uh, production companies like your Disney's and your Fox and stuff like that to be able to survive in that marketplace. DreamWorks couldn't. You know, that's what Dream, DreamWorks was started out. I know we're going off topic, sorry, but DreamWorks was started out as you know it was going to be like the next big movie player. It had Spielberg behind it, it had Katzenberger behind it, David Geffen. 
you know, this was going to be a, a, a juggernaut. It was going to go back to the studio days that we used to get in Hollywood at the time. They couldn't compete with the big boys because they were trying to do the same thing. Blumhouse did the opposite. They used these small budgets to make these films that then bring back loads of money. That's why The Last Jedi okay. is is kind of regarded as it is. That film, I still think, made about 700 million worldwide. It was something like maybe 600 million worldwide. And that's seen as a flop because it cost about 250 million to make. Plus, that's before advertising and all that kind of stuff. So you're probably looking that that film has to make back almost a billion quid to turn a profit. Really. Wow. And yet, you know, Blumhouse make these films for like a few million quid that go on to make, you know, 10, 15 times that. Wow. Well, I'm going to take this back to Scary Tales. (laughs) Because this very quickly turned into Pop After Dark. (laughs) Because we can't help ourselves. But I couldn't help myself. The when we were watching the live stream, they were telling us some little sneak peeks of what was going to be in the Scary Tales house, and one of them, which I thought was very strange, and I still don't entirely understand it, is that we're going to see Rapunzel scalped, and Rapunzel's hair is its own being. Mm. And it's evil. Like cousin it. Like cousin it. <laughs> but long and bland. Do we think they might be reusing that stuff from Scarecrow last year? You know the uh, stuff that ha- hung down from the ceiling. Well, I mean they they use they use that in a lot of houses, so they it's got an official name, Chris. What's it called? Sith. Sif. Sif. Um, stuff in face so they, they use a lot of hanging things um, throw a lot of the houses as like an, an additional thing but another thing they're going to be utilising in this house is smell so thinking of things like the exorcist pukey smell and Texas Chainsaw Massacre which smelled weirdly of cat wee. And Dollhouse of the Damned, which smells like dirty nappies. This one is going to have a Humpty Dumpty scene, which is going to smell very eggy. And Roanoke. Don't forget Roanoke last year. Oh, yeah, Roanoke. I, just had a, I don't even know what that... I just classed it as foul. Yeah, just like dirty, like manure dead thingy. Like, it just, it just smelled disgusting. But I... I feel like I really react to these smells. So in this live stream, Charles Gray is like, you know, I love making something super, super disgusting. I love, like, seeing how disgusted people are by these smells. And I'm like, I, like, I really, really react to the smells. Yeah, that exorcist house, for example. Oh, my God. It was so stinky. It's it's really funny because I was listening back to mine and craig's episodes last week and when we got out of american horror stories he did not notice the smell at all what i was like how could you avoid the smell like that you know i know you're trying to get that through the house sometimes as quickly as possible because you want to get out um because you like something spooks you but i just found the smells in that in that section 
um, to be so strong that you couldn't help but notice him. But he, he didn't mm-hmm. clock him at all. Like, I run... think that the houses have like a, a like a specific smell anyway. Like they smell of like wood and like smoke effect. Mm. Well, they, like... they all smell of uh, sawn timber, mm-hmm. uh, dry ice, and sweat. Well, I got in Josh's car last week, and I was like, Josh's car smells like Halloween Horror Nights. What is it? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, please, can you find where it is? Because it's like literally as soon as I closed the door of the car, I was like, oh, my God. Like, it just smells so Horror Nightsy. And I'm like, please. And it, like, he imports cars from Japan. So it just, like, it was just fresh from Japan. I'm like, please, can you find out where it is? Because it's, like, it's mind-boggling. That smells exactly like a Halloween Horror Nights house. And I can't put my finger on where it is. Do you remember that house in Islands of Adventure? The first, um, uh, oh god, the name's just gone out of my head. Um, Psychoscarapy house. Yes. Where where they had the room, the toilet with the stuff on the wall. It was just like the smell that was in Dollhouse of the Damned. Ugh. Like that smell on like I like. The year that we had Dollhouse of the Damned, I think it was it was either twenty I wanna say twenty three, maybe twenty four. Um I didn't really look much into the house that year. I wanted to be pretty surprised, so I had like a complete social media shutdown and I was like, I'm not looking at anything. And I was not at all expecting that when I went in. So it was like grown men in nappies and the smell was unlike anything other than a psychotherapy house that I've ever smelled before. But how do the scare actors put up that? I know. Like, I don't understand it. Like, I think that smell was bad. Exorcist was really, really, really strong. It was rank. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, the first few times I was going through it, I was like, what the hell is this smell? Like, I don't know what this smell is, but it's so bad. And then it was actually Scotty Too Hotty who'd said that house smells like cat piss and I was like that's it that is what it is and then Mm. I couldn't get out of my head every time that I was walking through it I was like this smells so so strong I think I know the answer to Chris's question there about how the scare actors put up with it because it's the exact same emotion I feel when I see people working in Lush. Oh, God. Because, like, I cannot... It takes me about five, maybe ten minutes of being in that shop to finally get adjusted to it. I just feel I can't so... I in there. I never used to be able to. Um, I've had to go in there a lot over the last um, 12 years or so since being with <laughs> my wife. Um so I've slowly kind of got accustomed to it. Even when I go into a Lush, like, the smell is just so overpowering. But I suppose the thing is, if you're just subjected to that on a nearly daily basis, you don't even start to notice it. I guess that's true, because I I want to say that I shop at Lush weekly. Well, you like, can if you want. The, like, the majority <laughs> of things that I use are from Lush. And I don't feel like I really notice the smell. But if I come, if I go into Lush and then I come home, Josh will say to me, you stink of Lush. Well, I think that's a compliment, isn't it? Or I'm isn't... like, I mean, it smells nice. But it's but obviously the smell's so overpowering that it's just sticking to my clothes. Even though I've just bought like a face mask, which doesn't smell of anything. 
like the smell just attaches to you. So I imagine that when them scare actors go home, trying to get the smell of dirty oh. nappy off them is going to be foul. Well, the good news is that they're normally in some kind of costume, so it probably just stays in the costume. But I know what you mean. Hmm. But I think that's but it. I they think... must just get used. They must just get used. To yeah, it. they must do. And and I imagine it's the same as people that work in restaurants as well. Like you must get used to the smell of of like food cooking. But I think that this this like I don't ever remember a kind of eggy smell in a house before. Oh, I do. But last this is going to be like. No, I do. Last year. I mean, other than like sweaty people. Oh, well, I mean that's just because I was hanging around Cray. And he's just doing lob pumps. Yeah. Yeah. Disgusting. I'm only one bit little because it's very giant. But like <laughs> they've said that there's gonna be like eggs splattered on the wall, but then there's gonna be like there's guards that are like watching the wall and then they're keeping warm on a fire so the egg is like splattered onto whatever the they have on top of the fire so the egg's cooking as well. And I'm like, this sounds all kinds of weird. It's gonna upset vegans. I mean, maybe, but it just sounds very, very strange. But I think this is going to be a dark horse of the event, honestly. Like, I feel as though because people know these stories, like any other original that you go into, I don't think that like the diehard Halloween Horror Nights fans will see it as the dark horse of the event at the end of it. But I feel like, again, going back to like the general population that are going to go, because everybody knows these stories, like... Rapunzel and like Humpty Dumpty they haven't said what this third one that they've shown the artwork for is I imagine there's going to be more than three stories in there but they've they released three banners banner artwork so one was Humpty Dumpty one was a witch and one was a wolf Mm. so I don't know whether that's going to be like a little red riding hood house or like a three little pigs house but either way we all know these fairy tales as opposed to when we're walking into something like Dead Waters, we don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's going to have that air of um, familiarity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know, I know what you're Familiarity. It's really easy for me to say. Um, so I think that would be like its advantage, because, mm-hmm. like you say, you got that knowledge of the subjects before you go in there. Um, uh-huh which I think will will be good. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, think, I think it could be good, actually. I, I think it could be a fun addition to the event. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I don't think this is going to be a terrible house by all means. Like, I think it's going to actually be a very, very good house. But I feel like, contrary to what you were saying at the beginning of the episode about, um, like, you don't really think that the IP is like the strongest this year. I feel like the entire lineup this year is very strong. And so I really struggled to make a um like a hype list of things that I was most excited about because I wanted everything to be near the top. Okay. And so this right now is at like a nine on my list, but not because I think it's going to be bad, just because there's so much good stuff that I'm excited about that I'm a little bit more excited about than this. So I think it, it was very, very hard for me to to make that list this year. But I think that um, when I was making it, and I spoke about this in 
not the video that I released today, but the video that I released just before that one. Um, as much as I love original houses and original houses do tend to be my favourite, I kind of had to separate what I was excited about because I am so incredibly excited about Poltergeist. And I was a little bit, and Chris, we'd spoken about this as well mm-hmm. because you'd just rewatched it. Yeah. And you were like, you know, everything kind of happens like at the end. I can tell that like Spielberg had an awful lot to do with the film, especially like everything before the end of the film. Mm. And I'm like, I agree. And I didn't really know how they were going to do this house. And I thought that was going to be very much like The Exorcist. And you thought the same thing. Like, we're just going to see the same kind of sets from the film replicated over and over again with different additions to it. But during this live stream, they told us what they're actually going to do. And honestly, like, I was very excited about it before, but now... I'm like, I, I just can't wait to see it because it sounds ridiculously good. Like, they are basically... Like, when I was kind of picturing it, and I don't know if you felt the same, Chris, I was imagining that we'd go through and we'd see, like, a whole bunch of TVs and we'd hear, like, loads of Caroline dialogue, like, on a loop. And then we'd see some things flying around and then we'd get to all the good stuff at the end. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I did, yeah. Yeah, like, that that's kind of the way that I just imagined it would be, and we'd just see, like, the same kitchen scene multiple times with different things in it, and then we'd see Caroline's bedroom multiple times with different things in it, and then we'd get to, like, the pool and the closet and blah, blah, blah. But we're actually going to start the house in the pool. Oh. I know. So, like, it's going to start where below ground and we'll be looking up at the house from inside of the pool so like we'll see all like the dead bodies coming out from the floor and like the coffins and stuff and then we'll carry on underground so we'll go like through a whole bunch of tunnels under the house and that's where all of these it's where the graveyard still is so I thought that was really fascinating that they chose to do it that way that doesn't all happen in the film and then from there is where we'll go into the house so we'll see the kitchen scene we'll see the bedroom scene but another thing that they've said that they're going to do is we are going to go into the light which obviously Mm. doesn't happen in the film so we have no idea what's going to be there oh I do it's going to be loads of animatronics ETs waving at you Oh my god, I would love life. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's going to be that episode of The Simpsons, isn't it? We all become 3D. <gasps> oh my god. That was just on TV again the other day. I hadn't seen it in years, and it still holds up. Amazing. <laughs> but I feel like this house, in effect, is half IP, half original. Mm-hmm. So that's why... I am the like even before I, we heard this extra information about it. I was like, I know that I really, really enjoy Poltergeist. I know it's not the scariest film in the world, but cool stuff happens at the end, and I'm sure that they could kind of drag the beginning out a little bit and then hit us with the good stuff. Does because I've not seen the new Poltergeist. 
does the new Poltergeist change the original ending? I honestly haven't seen the new Poltergeist either. I just wonder if, like, this going into the light that you're talking about, if this is something they maybe have explored in the, the new version that they did a few years ago. Or... I don't think so. I suppose the only other thing, possibly, because, I mean, the thing is, I, I don't obviously understand how the, the planning for Halloween Horror Nights happens. And I'm sure they kind of sit around and throw about ideas and discuss things. And I wonder if what, you know, they've been planning on a house based on the same kind of ideas as Poltergeist has been one of those um, cloud and sky ideas that have been working on for quite a while. And now they've actually got the license. They're combining some ideas that they had maybe in the past with something similar, and they're using that in this with the actual IP that they've got. Well, what, what you need to know is, is this film is Michael Aiello's baby because this is his favourite film, period. Mm. So I think he spent many, many years dreaming up what he would do if he was in charge of making this film into a house. Right. But I think it's just really fascinating. And I do, I do see this more as like a combination house now. So, whereas before, I was like, okay, I, I know what I'm walking into. I know what I'm walking into with every IP that I'm going to go into. I just don't know the exact logistics of how they're going to do it, but I know the story. With this, I'm like, okay, I know the pool. I don't know what the house looks like. I don't know what the hell's going to be underground in these tunnels, in this, like, labyrinth type of thing. I know what's going to be in the house sphere, but then I don't know what the frick's going to be in the light. It could actually be anything. Do you think they'll use actual bodies like they did in um, the film? Well, I was watching something <laughs> about this the other day. I was watching, I think it was like um, all the weird stuff that happened around Poltergeist. And it was talking about like all like the members of the cast that had died and things like that. And then about how they'd use the real dead bodies. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew, I knew some of the, cur- you know, the curse of Poltergeist, especially around... Um, what was the girl's name, Heather? I don't know what her last name is, but I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah, and like how she died, you know, tragically young under suspicious circumstances. Well, not not you know, not necessarily suspicious circumstances, but you know, unusual. Um, you know how she died. Um, so I know that you know there's always been this this talk of the curse, but I didn't realise that about the bodies. That's just that is morbid. Mm, but they let the woman who plays Diane, like, film it first before they told her, apparently. Yeah. Well, they probably wouldn't have got her to do it, that's why. No, I mean, <laughs> like, I know that I'm, like, spooky. I probably would do it. <laughs> well, I went to that like... exhibition. Do you remember they used to, I don't know whatever happened to it, and I'm sure the guy that was behind it is dead now. But, you know, when they used to have that exhibition... I think it was called like Body Worlds or something, where it was all of the um, the corpses that they had injected with like a type of plastic. I was so desperate to go to that. Man, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I went to see it when it was in London for a few months, and it was really good. But there was like some bits of it that were, were like proper creepy. So there was like a section where there was loads of um, fetuses in jars. 
Oh, wow. Hadn't, you know, obviously hadn't survived at various stages of pregnancy. And that was like a little bit much for me. Yeah, like I don't think I'd like that aspect. Yeah. But, but the, I feel like the rest of it was like just, just, just fascinated me. Yeah, because you, you can donate your body to science when you die. Mm. And I like I don't know like if that's the way that they were doing it, and they were using bodies of people that had donated yeah, themselves no, you to could, science. You I imagine could, so. You actually could sign up. There was like um, there were guest book type things at the beginning and the end of the exhibition where if you wanted to um to donate your body to, to them after the after you died that you could actually sign up you know they'd all paperwork to actually allow it to happen so yeah so like all the bodies whether then you know it may have started off as just being donated for scientific purposes but you could actually sign up to be part of the exhibition Wow, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Mental. Well, okay then. So, we also heard a little bit of how they are going to do the Stranger Things house. So, I don't know about you guys. I kind of imagined that, like, how they'd do a Demogorgon and how they'd do, like, certain scenes of it. But I was like, how are they going to do this forest, like, these forest scenes? Without using the ETQ. Exactly. And I was like, obviously, like, they, they are very, very good at making a forest because ET is magnificent. And it's a fantastic example of a forest. Well, However, so was the uh, werewolf house from 2009. That was yeah. epic. But I was like, I just, I hope that it looks as amazing as it does in the film. And I was worried that it wouldn't be. Because there's so much to fit in to this house. I was worried that it was going to be one tiny room and there'd just be a couple of trees in there. Or kind of like, you know, in the most recent Walking Dead house where we had a little bit of a forest. And it was like kind of a cabin that's there and there's just a few trees like kind of plunked around. It looked cool and everything, but I mean, it's no Stranger Things style forest. So they had said on this live stream that the way they're going to do it is they're going to line the entire space with mirrors to make it look like it's a super expansive forest. Okay. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Because like, I know, like, I like the kind of use of mirrors in the house. I think that they always work very well. Like, when you go back to when you and Craig were in the American Horror Story house and the Father Christmas bit. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very good mirror effect. Oh, it, it was so clever. I, I, I never really clocked on how they did it. It was, as you say, if they... And these guys are obviously experts at, at manipulating it. Because to be honest, you say, when you hear they're going to use mirrors, you think, that sounds cheap and tacky. But because of how they do it, you have no idea that's what it is. Exactly. So I'm imagining that when you go into it, like you won't even you won't even realise that it's mirrors that are being used. There's going to be three actual trees. <sighs> Probably. <laughs> but it's going to look like a very, very large forest. So I'm excited about that now because that was something that was kind of, like there's not an awful lot of things when it comes to these houses. And I think probably because, and Chris, you'll probably feel the same as well. When, you, when you've been so many times, you know what they're good at. And yeah. you know that oh, yeah. a lot of the time you don't need to kind of second guess the way that they're going to do something because you know that they're just going to pull it off and they'll just have a way of doing it. But yeah. this was something that was kind of just 
making me think a little bit like, oh, well, I mean, if it's just a tiny room, I know it's not a big deal because it's just a forest and it's just a scene, but it's it's something that's utilized so well in the series. I was like, if this is if this doesn't look good, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to really enjoy that bit. But they also talked about the demogorgons quite a bit, and so I think that we spoke about it on a couple of episodes before about how they're going to use puppets. And I think that puppets are being used quite heavily this year well, across Chucky. the event. Well, they're going to have a puppet in Chucky. They're going to have puppets and scare actors portraying Demogorgons in Stranger Things. We're going to have a puppet, I believe, in Trick or Treat for the wolves. I'll tell you what, that, that um, Ash versus Evil Dead house has got a lot to answer for. Ashy slashy. <laughs> I loved I loved that at the end of the house. Though. It was so cool. I've just finished the first season of Ash vs. The Walking Dead. So I'm excited to to get onto season two now and, and meet uh, that puppet. Yes. But I like I think that this is gonna work really well. I think that when they did the American Werewolf in London houses, like both times they did it, I think that kind of solidified they like that they know the right people that could do a good puppet. My only my only thing actually two things. So the first one is with the demogorgon, I think they've got um they've got to really knock it out of the park. And the reason why I say that is because you know, because Stranger Things is a few years old now, you've seen some incredible cosplay costumes. Mm-hmm. Of people being demogorgons, so because you've seen how hello, someone on this podcast did a pretty good one. <laughs> I mean, I didn't use a three D printer for my teeth; I made them all by hand, every single one. So I'm just saying. <laughs> all I'm saying is, is that because of people like yourself, um, you know, there's this big expectation from that. So they've really mm-hmm. got to nail it. They've really got to knock it out of the park. They've got to make them as good as that kind of thing if not better exactly and i think that's why it was so important that they do use both puppets and scare actors Mm. and that they're gonna have different variations of the demogorgon so they're gonna have like the closed mouth kind of demogorgon which i imagine will be the scare actor open mouth one which again i imagine will just be a plain scare actor or they're going to have a gigantic puppet of one because mm-hmm. they've already said these guys are going to be giant but then they're going to have a puppet that will do like the flowering head effect of it opening and closing mm-hmm. which will look awesome but they've also said that because they've 3d printed all of these teeth they have 3d printed them onto like a mesh kind of insert that will go into like the petals of the demogorgon head so that it'll look at like the very best every single night. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, speaking from experience, trying to get these teeth into a latex petal, if one falls out, it's a pain in the bum to get back in. So doing it with three D printing and the mesh, I think, is a very, very, very good idea. It's probably not that many uh, demogorgon approved dentists either, so probably. So the only other thing about this house is, and this is the, de- the Debbie Downer in me, is that 
there's so much hype and expectation for this house. Is there this chance that it's going to be a letdown? I honestly don't believe that there is. And the reason I think that is because if you go and watch the live stream, like if you're not all that familiar with members of creative, they are so passionate and particularly because they're all of like they're all kind of around our age group or a little bit older, they're all very especially passionate about eighties films and 80s kind of pop culture and the super super into that and so when stranger things came out i think it was an absolute dream come true and i think that they will put everything that they've got into making this house an amazing success i I get that but i mean the thing is is being passionate and there's being able to execute it and i don't think anyone's you know I, i think one thing that was very apparent from seeing behind you know anything behind the scenes from creative in the last few years is that the team they've got is as you say incredibly passionate um about doing the the absolute best that they can but my concern is is that no matter how passionate you are about something actually executing it to the the best that it needs to be isn't isn't the easiest thing to do and the thing is, like, go go look at like the um, the original houses for last year, especially Dead Water, which you know I think was absolutely phenomenal. With that, because it's an original idea, it, it's carte blanche. There's no expectation in that at all. So whatever you do, as long as it's great, no one's going to be able to like moan about, oh, it wasn't as good as what I saw in this, just because there's no expectation there. It is someone's imagination. With something like Stranger Things, especially something that's in the zeitgeist as much as it is, there is that expectation that I want to see this, I want to see that. Joyce isn't the right height. Well, I mean, they've actually posted. No, I know. I've seen. I've seen the job. I've seen the job. I've seen the job for exactly that reason. But do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, that was just the first thing that comes to my head. But you know, if it's not, if it doesn't look like the set. If something is not right, people will pick it apart. And that's my concern. Like, I hope that, honestly, it works out absolutely amazingly for them. Me too. I think that this is an important year. I think getting something that's so big and so relevant is amazing. And again, like, going back to talking about Blumhouse now, I think that could only mean good things for the event. I think this being a super good house will only mean better things for the event and for us as fans in the future because it'll open the door for us to get ips easier because they'll see like when you think back and chris like you'll you'll know more about this than than i will but i imagine that trying to officially get these ips in the beginning was very very hard and then the more that they've done over time the easier it'll get, so now they will be able to get things like The Exorcist and The Shining and Poltergeist, and I think Stranger Things will just open that door a little bit wider. Well, Jason Sorrell tells a very funny story where in Halloween Horror Nights 3, he faxed John Carpenter to uh, ask him if he could use his franchises in the (laughs) house, and he just got a very polite fax back saying, 
never heard of this event, but thank you very much for asking. Sorry. <laughs> so it's gone from Jason Sorrell with a fax machine to a full on department that works year round to secure intellectual properties for this seasonal event. It's huge now in comparison. And don't exactly. wrong, I'm and not trying to I'm not trying to like dumb it down or, or belittle it at all, because I think what they do is fantastic. Um and I think in, in some ways it's probably worse to say what I just said because I understand the passion that they have. You know, if this was just a committee that was just like, right, we've got to do a Halloween event, this is what we're allowed to do, which is probably what it was like back in the day as well, when they first started doing these, then, you know, it would be just very much kind of ticking the boxes. But now you have this incredibly passionate set of people that want to put on the best horror event in the world. That's it. They they want to put on the best horror event, but also they have a real genuine love for these films. And I think that's so important to the event. And I hope that that's something that the event never loses. Because if you just had like a generic corporate team and like, okay, well, this is big right now, so we're going to try and get this, or that's big right now, so we're going to get that. These people have a genuine interest in this content. And I do think that is the most important thing about the whole creative process. Mm. So I honestly, I hope that Stranger Things does amazing things. I know that the line's going to be very long every night, so I don't expect to be able to go through it the same amount of times that I'd go through anything else at the event this year. But I can't wait to see what they do. And I also can't wait to see how the waffles, the Ego waffles, are going to be featured because that's been <laughs> confirmed as a thing that they will be in there. It will have to be. I mean, that would be something that people would call shenanigans on straight away if they didn't have Egos in there, I'm sure. Um, exactly. And I'll be, and, and the thing is, you know, I, I, I think it will be a success. And I, I hope it will be a success. So that's just my, my slight, you know, concern about it. But, you know, I want to see a, a, a season two Stranger Things. I want to see uh, the facility. You know, I think that would make an excellent house concept. Or certainly a section of scenes where you're walking around that building with mm-hmm. all of those people trapped they've been experimented on. Do you know what I mean? I think they can do really good things with that. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I really do hope it is the big success that they're, they're expecting it to be. I, I think that it definitely will be. And we are actually going to get more chances to experience the Stranger Things house this year because along with the Scary Tales announcement and the live stream, we also discovered that we're going to get two extra nights at Horror Nights this year. So we're going to get two extra Wednesdays. Unfortunately, the the elusive Thursday of the Microsoft event is still being a Microsoft event, we assume. Damn you, Bill Gates. Indeed. <laughs> but we're going to have Wednesday the 19th and Wednesday the 26th of September as two additional days that we can go so that's awesome news it's and strange be, news isn't it it is strange and is this going to be the most nights yeah yeah it is yeah interesting i've got a question that i want to put to the two experts because you talked earlier about uh, i can't remember what house it was now but about how um it was oh it was the popeyes one 
be all right, Barges. Uh, about, yeah, Scary Tales too. Yeah, about how that was done in in a queue. So I've never, I don't, well, unless I, I'll be educated now, but I don't think I've ever done a house in a queue. I you, only seem you, to have done them in sound stages. I have. You will have. Well, like there's there's more houses done in queues than what you'd than what you'd know. So how so how are they done then in the queues? What so what, what was last year? Because I mean I was obviously there last year. Were any houses last year done in queues? No. No, not last year. But something that was utilised quite a lot was things like the earthquake queue. I know Jaws was as well, but I don't yeah. think because the only house I did in, twin, uh, in in Halloween Horror Nights twenty was the one that was a rip off of Paranormal Activity, right? And that I'm sure was in a soundstage. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them are done in soundstage or tents, but I think that there will definitely, you would definitely have gone through a house before that was done in a queue. And how do they make it like? So how do they change a queue into a house? Well, when you think of the queues, realistically, they're just... It, it tends to be the extended queues. So if you think of, like, the earthquake queue, that wrapped around in such a, a huge area that you probably would never, ever queue through in the day. Even when you look at something like the Men in Black queue, mm. how often do you ever go right the way to the end of that? Actually, was Saw not in a queue last year? It, well, it was in the Shrek, the other Shrek theatre. Oh, it, it, it was the entire theatre. So you, theater, you okay. queued through Shrek's queue. Right, I got you. But the actual house itself was in the theatre. But, I mean, there's been a house inside of Poseidon's Fury before that's wow. utilised the entire, like, show section of Poseidon's Fury where you even walk through the water tunnel. So I think I think you'd be surprised at, at where these houses can fit. But it's interesting. Mm, absolutely. And I'm sure that there's probably details of this in Chris's book. There most certainly is. <laughs> there we go. Now, speaking, there we go. Actually, speaking of Chris's book, this is something I wanted to, to, to bring up. Is your is your new one not ready? My new one is ready. Amazon have released it. It's yes. I'm so excited this month. I think this is as much as I absolutely adore the Orlando books and I like I'll buy them every single year and I'll buy them every single year in the future. I'm very, very excited about this new one because this covers parks that i've never been to so i don't know a single thing i'll know like you know odds odds and ends of things that maybe you've told me in the past <laughs> but i don't know any of the history of it so this is all gonna be brand new information to me and i am so so excited for this one i can't wait to read it it's a good one i'd say it's probably 75 percent hollywood well and i'm extra excited is... Yeah, and the rest is Singapore and Japan. Sorry. Was it hard to write this one? Because, that, like, you you visit Orlando every year. Um, 
Well, it's hard because of the Asian ones I've not been to, but I've been to Hollywood a few times. And the Asian ones are newer, aren't they? Like, they haven't been going, obviously, anywhere near as long. Well, the Asian ones are quite interesting because um, Singapore had Halloween Horror Nights next, and Singapore is one of the newer parks. And their whole event is very based around original houses, and it's very, very similar in style to Orlando, if Orlando... Well, like what Orlando was back in the 90s, where it was mostly original houses, mm-hmm. and particularly sort of ghosts and urban legends and things that could be real. That's what they seem to enjoy. And then you go to Japan, and it's just batshit crazy, just minions and werewolves and... <laughs> it. Oh, yeah, it's just mental. It's like Hollywood. Everything's an IP. Everything's an IP, but exaggerated into their version like as if they're better in the ip like you know oh we'll have um i don't know we'll have uh stranger things but you know what we do we just put a lot of velociraptors in there they're better (laughs) 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 makes you want to go to japan all of a sudden well yeah i mean we know japan's pretty crazy don't we but true their halo horror nights by all accounts is is pretty mental and they every single year have Resident Evil as their scare zone. What? <laughs> well, no, because yeah. Resident Evil is is huge in Japan. They've got oh yeah, various. Is it? Uh, yeah, I mean they ha- they obviously have the games, but they have animes and comic books and and all sorts. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And in fact, I'm sure there was a Resident Evil theme park. What? Uh, yeah. At, at some time, I'm sure, I'm almost certain there was. Japan has lots of like little wow. theme parks and stuff like that, so, yeah. Well, I think that I will potentially be going to Japan next year. Oh. So, I mean, I don't think I'll be going around Halloween time because I saved that for Orlando. But, I mean, I definitely want to look into all these many weird theme parks. So, Chris, what, that is sounds new, interesting. what is the new book called? Uh, Halloween Horror Nights Around the Globe. And the, the book cover has been designed by Rob uh, Yeo, who has done this uh, kind of... His idea was to... Because the book starts in the 20s, so he's gone back to like the, the original old-fashioned Universal uh, logo. Uh, the old I black wondered, one. I wonder what the inspiration was, because it did look... Yeah fairly old-fashioned i like it yeah so the the font is very similar the layout's very similar and then he's put like a, a, a jack the clown sort of grasping at the the world and then on the spine of the book very 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 carefully you have to look do you remember the universal logo had the little aeroplane that used to fly around it mm-hmm. well on the spine he's done a little aeroplane with jack the clown flying it <laughs> oh i'm so excited about this yeah Honestly, like I tweeted earlier, like because because you know we've we've known that you've been writing a book, a new book for a while, and we're like, okay, going to save it for the flight because I always read the books on the flight over to Orlando. And I'm like, I honestly don't think that I can keep this for the next month without reading it because I'm just so freaking excited. Can I also tell you my absolute favorite thing that I found? Well, I found some really really great stories for this book. Um, two of them. 
um, I'll just quickly say one of them, which was really fun, was you know I'm an Alfred Hitchcock fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out delving into the archives that he used to design and build his own haunted houses. Wow. What? Um, and he used the bungalow on the backlot Universal to design these houses. And then he would have them in like New York or in downtown LA and all these different places. So I put all of that into the book. And then the other thing that I put into the book, I go through the archives and look at the the haunting of uh, the Phantom of the Opera stage. Oh, I'm so interested about that. And I actually solve it. <gasps> so what? Read the book. It actually tells you what the ghost was. We act- I actually found the, the evidence of what it was. Was it a cardboard oh, cutout of Leonard Nimoy just like in Three Men and a Baby? <laughs> <laughs> it's like solving who Jack the Ripper was. Oh my god, I am so excited! <laughs> the book like, goes I think the top of the chart. Be here on Tuesday, and I think I will have read it by Wednesday. Honestly, <laughs> like I'm just so freaking excited. It sounds awesome. Oh, that is, you're so talented, Mister oh, Ripley. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's how you got to finish that sentence, Amanda? I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's the lure. <laughs> um, no, well done, mate. I mean, it does sound it does sound incredible. And, right, uh, I know that that this is a very long episode already. <laughs> but the feedback that we've had over the recent long episodes that you really loved them, and also I'm afraid that if I don't cover this quickly, Phil's going to kill us. Oh God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like you, like like I I can't apologise to Phil one more time about not covering this. So we I can't. Feel like we... we can't promise him we're going to answer a question on an episode and then leave him hanging to the next one no. again. <laughs> so we need to <laughs> listeners power through because this is going to be an interesting section. So Phil had asked us to cover ticket options for the event, and we did an episode. Covering this a little bit last year when Craig was planning to go for his weekend. We didn't know that Nick was going yet. It was still a surprise. And he was wondering what kind of ticket would be better suited to him. So we we laid them all out on the table for him and he and he chose one and he chose the the one that fitted his needs the best. I can't find that episode now though, because back then was when we called the episodes crazy titles. Like of in jokes from what was in the episode. What are you saying? Are you saying that my my useless title of episodes was actually a decrement to what we was actually putting in? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> like, if they were very good in jokes, what was going to happen in the episode? But I feel like we didn't de- dedicate an entire episode to it. So I was like skipping through a few episodes, trying to like figure out when it was that we would have done that, and I couldn't find it. So. We'll quickly go over some of the options and then I'll try and find that more in-depth one. But there's, there's quite a few different options and it is going to depend entirely on when about in the event that you're going. So the ticket that worked well for Luke, for, not Luke, for Craig and Nick last year was the Russia Fear Pass. Yeah. And that's a really good pass to go for if you're going to go to the beginning of the event so that's going to get you in to the very first 12 nights of the event so that's like the first three full weeks of the event basically and that so, was that was um that included the weekends didn't it that was friday and saturday as well uh-huh. so Sunday. that's friday saturday sunday this year it's going to be 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the first week, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday the second week, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the week after. So you're getting a, an awful lot for your money with this ticket. So this is about 90, $95-ish, dollars $95, $96 before tax. So it's, I think this is a very, very good ticket to go for. It's an absolute steal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you've got a lot of freedom too. So with with most of the other tickets, you're a little bit more restricted on specific days of the week that you can go. This one, if you're going between opening day on the 14th and the 30th of September, you can go every night that the event's on in that period. I'll be honest, like I don't with that ticket option being available, and with people planning their holidays, uh, specifically to go to Halloween Horror Nights, I don't know why anybody, and I'm pointing at you, Amanda, um, I don't know why anybody would want to go later on. I, I, I get, you know, Halloween, you know, is in October, but to be able to go, you know, for that kind of frequency at that cost just seems like an absolute no-brainer. It is, but a lot of the good thing with Halloween Horror Nights, and this is something that I think that people were really worried about earlier in the year, because we'd had we had a new ticket come out in I want to say like May, April, May time, and it was the buy one night get one night free ticket, and that was the only ticket that was out at that time, and people were worried that. We were going to go down the same kind of route as Mickey's Not So Scary, where you'll pay your $95 for the night or your $70 for the night, and that's it, you get one night. And you have to pay for every night that you're going. And, you know, an, an average Halloween Horror Nights ticket goes between 60 60 to $100. It's like $150 and $120 on the gate. So doing it like that would be very, very expensive. But the multi-day tickets that they offer are extremely, extremely good value. So the ticket that I personally get is a frequent Fiat Plus Pass. And that gets me in for every night of the event except Saturdays. But actually, if I went the first or last Saturday of the event, I could get in those days. So it technically does include... Two Saturdays. But that, I think I paid £95 for that. So what's like $125? So it's not much more. And I could go potentially 30 nights if I wanted to. For that extra $20. Pretty good deal. Definitely. And I like I honestly hope this is something that they keep forever. Because it is very, very good volume. But they also offer a regular frequent fear pass, which would get you in Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Which in my opinion are the less busy days. So, again, that's not a bad ticket to go for. And that would get you in overall 23 nights 
and that's $106. Well, $106.99. So that's that's $10 more than the Russia Fear Pass. So again, that's amazing volume. But I think that if you were going to pay the $106.99, you may as well pay the $122 and get your Fridays included. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly that much more, is it? No. I mean, if, you were, if you're a local and you know that your family just go in Wednesday, Thursday is... And Sundays, you know, save your twenty dollars. It's fine. But in my experience, the nights that I desperately want to go are the nights that I know that I can't go. Like I know that my pass doesn't include Saturdays. And for a little bit this year, I was like, so they have a a, a newish pass that they've been offering for the last couple of years called the Ultimate Frequent Fear Pass, which will get you into every single night of the event. That's a little bit more expensive. It comes for $204. But you can literally go to every single night of the event. So amazing if you're a local. Again, I don't know. I think I maybe know one person, personally, that's been to every single night of an event. Because I imagine people have work commitments in September and October. And they couldn't go every night. But I was tempted to get that one this year because last year I was like, every Saturday I was like, oh, well, all my friends are at Horror Nights now because they all live here and I just want to be there. But I knew that if I if I got that pass, I would never go and see Magic Kingdom fireworks. I'd never go to Mickey's Not So Scary. I'd never get out to Epcot for Food and Wine Festival because I would literally just be at Horror Nights every single night of the event. So I had to control myself a little bit with that one. But I think, honestly, comparing the cost of a a standard night ticket, I think anybody would be crazy to not get a multi-night of any kind. And I say this to everyone that I speak to who says, and I think I I brought this up actually on, um, I was a guest on Theme Park Trader, last week or the week before and those guys are going for the first ever time to Horror Nights this year and they were like okay we're going to just go for one night and we're going to get a one night ticket and I was like honestly pay the extra $20 and get a multi-night ticket because you'll want to go for another night and they were like oh no like we don't think we don't think so we don't have time to and I'm like honestly for the sake of $20 you could go for another 11 nights if you wanted to like I don't know why you'd pay that amount of money to just go for one Like, I don't understand it. And I think that's kind of what puts me off Mickey's Not So Scary a little bit. Because I do have fun at that event. I think it's a it's a cool night. But, I mean, I know this isn't a Disney podcast. I feel like not a lot changes at Mickey's Not So Scary. And I feel like the value that I'm getting for that amount of money for one night, I'm getting, you know, for $20 more, I'm getting 30 nights at Universal. I don't know if you guys feel the same. Like, did you feel like that, Nick, with your tickets? Have I lost you? Sorry, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, everybody's dead. <laughs> I just, I just zoned out. Sorry. The, 
the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween thing is is interesting because I see more the difference between I think the two events for me is year on year I see people kind of getting more into Halloween Horror Nights and mm-hmm. less away from Mickey's Not So Scary and not because it's not a good event but because people feel it's oversubscribed they don't get to do the things that they want to do and I think the problem is you, you can't well as far as I know there's not like a pass on Mickey's Not So Scary where you can go multiple nights Mm-mm. so every night you go you've got to pay the $90 or whatever it is that it costs to go into the event and I think what Universal are very smart in doing is by doing these passes where it allows you to go for multiple nights now I, I can't think of any you know me personally I had a great time and I enjoyed my three nights of going to Halloween Horror Nights but I couldn't see myself going you know 30 times or whatever me personally um, I'll t- tell you what you can't compare Mickey's Not So Scary to Halloween Horror Nights but you can compare Mickey's Not So Scary to Mickey's Party in Disneyland, California. And when you do so, you see that we are shortchanged with our Florida version because a lot of the stuff that comes out just for the Florida version for the, you know, for the hard ticket event is actually stuff that Disneyland does during the day. Right. So, you know, like, for example, your Nightmare Before Christmas, that runs all day long. And to be honest, I'd argue the same with Disneyland Paris as well. I mean, they don't they don't really do it in the same way that we get it in America, like the the not so not, not so scary event. But mm. you know, all all year, sorry, all Halloween period long, they do stuff you know during the day. Yeah, which is exactly what they do in Disneyland. Yeah, it's just a way of fleecing money, but. I just don't think you get the value for money or a lot of people don't get the value for money because, you know, for the price of going to Mickey's Not So Scary for one night, you can probably go multiple nights for not much more mm-hmm. to, to Halloween Horror Nights. And yet they're totally different events and they're not family-friendly events. So I get that element of it as well. But I just think that's that's one of the reasons why it's, it's getting to be as successful. And... I admire the fact that, you know, it gets it seems to get bigger and better every year and yet mm-hmm. it's still kept at a reasonable cost. I think it's I think it's more than reasonable and I'll always, always say that especially us Brits get mm. a fantastic deal in general. Yeah. With with visiting. But like but our flights so... are expensive and stuff like that, but the park tickets that we can get when mm. I compare it, especially when I'm speaking with Luke mm. and I'm looking at the prices that he needs to pay for multi-day tickets to go to Disney, for example, or a multi-day ticket to Universal, we get a hell of a deal. Oh, no, we do. I mean, you know, we get, uh, you know, a two or three week pass for Disney for what it would cost for about four days park access. We do get sport in the UK in terms of that because we're going... For a lot, you know, generally we're going for a longer period. Um, but regardless of that, I mean, I mean, even Florida residents, I mean, you know, they often do reduce tickets or, you know, if you go to Burger King, you know, they give away those cups, don't they? Where they give you cheap admission to Halloween Horror Nights. And well, Coke do the same stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Coke cans, that's right. Um, 
but so I mean there are promotions if you are you know it's not just that we get such good deals there are some decent deals to be had in America as well but yeah generally we are quite spoiled in in the tickets that we can get for the event um, well, I saw some uh, uh, information in some older press releases that go back about two or three years now but on average 20% of everybody in the park every day is British in Universal Orlando. I'm not at all surprised by that. So that's quite an interesting statistic that, you know, we make up a fifth of their gate every single day. I, I actually see more and more people going to Orlando now, going to, to Universal in lieu of Disney. Because just because of all the expense while you're there. Mm-hmm. as well so it's not you know yes we get we get cheap tickets but it's what you're you know it's the hard ticket in the events that they force down you it's um you know the fast pass system that they now implement because we, i was talking about this earlier with uh the wife about you know us trying to go to orlando and um you know i said so the thing is unless you're going to go for two or three weeks and you're going to stay on property Going to Disney now is a bit of a nightmare because you can't get your fast passes. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think I think things like that make it super complicated. <laughs> I agree, and I feel like you know, Universal does offer like additional things along with these Halloween Horror Nights tickets. So like, you can pay additionally to get a fast pass either for the night, or you can you can pay on top of your ticket to get a combo of your ticket for multiple nights and an express pass that will be valid on every night, which does work out cheaper if you wanted an express pass every single night. Like, it does drive the price up quite a lot. So, like, the pass that I get, the frequent fear, $123. If I wanted express every night, it would be $420. But when you compare that to if I for some reason decided that I did want to buy an individual express pass every night that's you know upwards of a hundred dollars a night that I'll be paying and if I can go for 30 nights it's an awful lot of money do they still do that thing where it's like half price after a certain time yeah so after I think it's 11 o'clock it's half price and some nights will be a little bit cheaper so I've been on certain nights where it's been like 70 dollars for an express pass and I've been on nights where it's been plus for an express pass and don't get me wrong there has been times when I've gone a little bit wild and I've bought an express pass four or five times but I wouldn't do it every night this year's going to be interesting because of Stranger Things Um, I think that might drive we might see a drive in express pass I mean it'd be interesting to know what the stats are on express passes and people buying Mm -hmm. them on the night but I think this year, I just have a feeling that because of how popular it's going to be, I think we'll see a spike in numbers of people buying express passes this year compared to other years. I agree. And a question that I think all of us get asked quite a lot, I know that, Chris, we got this question this week on Twitter as well, is mm-hmm. can, can you get everything done in one night at Horror Nights? And I do think that if you plan effectively in previous years, you can. So there's been nights when I've gone and I've done Stay and Scream 
I haven't bought an express pass, but I've still been able to do every single house and both shows. But that depends on Thailand how quiet the night is. And I think because because I'll be going for multiple nights, there's no kind of pressure that I need to do everything in that night. So just kind of I'll get done what I get done and it just so happens that I'll get everything done. However, I feel like a question that we're getting a lot too is will I need an express fast this year and can I get everything done in one night this year because I'm literally only going for one night and that's it, like I'm not going to go again. And to that question, and I don't know if you'll have the same answer, Chris, is if you desperately, desperately only want to go for one night and you desperately want to get everything done this year, I think you need to go to Stay and Scream Mm -hmm. and I think that you Mm. need to get an Express Pass for me without a shadow and you've got to remember that when you you know you've never done anything as stupid as go for three nights as me and Craig did Mm -hmm. bearing in mind that the first night you know we got to Orlando um, about I flew in about half past six that evening I got out of customs and by the time we got you know to the hotel dropped a bag and hit the park it was near enough it was coming up to half nine I think and also that night was when they had the power cut like across half the park so everything from Bill and Ted onward to that side of the park where Ash and Scarecrow was and all that that, that had a power cut so mm-hmm. you know that you know half the park was effectively gone for Halloween Horror Nights um, we only got the first house, we, we got one house done which was shining Um on the second night, we'd already booked an express pass before we went. I can't remember what they called it at the time, but whatever it was, the one night express. So we'd bought that that night because we knew if we was going to be there for technically three nights, we might not... We, we should get everything done in two, but we weren't sure. And we did stay on screen on the Saturday, and we used our express pass, I think, twice that night. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we wanted to queue, could we have done it without the express pass? Yeah, absolutely, because we'd done stay and scream as well. That was the that was a big thing, because mm-hmm. we were able to hit houses early. That was a big thing. Um, but I think if you're going for one night, especially with Stranger Things, you need to have an express pass. Yeah, and usually I would, I'd say just stay and scream should be fine. Yeah, like getting there early enough. You know, hit if you hit the right stay and scream area and you go to the right houses first and you have a good plan, you can definitely do it all in one night. But with Stranger Things this year, I think stay and scream won't be enough. And honestly, I'd say to anybody, do more than one night. Do do a minimum of two nights if you desperately want to get everything done and you want to enjoy it and be able to take a little bit of a slower pace with it and be able to sit down and have a beer or sit down and try some of the, the cool food that they have there. But if, like, Ryan and Dan from Theme Park Trader, you're desperate to just do one night and you do want to try and get as much done as you can, I think Stay and Scream and Express Pass is going to be a winning combination for you. Yeah. Yeah. But when you when you do want to do it like that, you're not having the opportunity to do the other cool things that the event offers. So things like Scare Rector Dining, which is an additional charge... So you, you do need a ticket to the events as well. 
but this is where you can it's a character character meal so it's buffet style it's in monster cafe and you basically can just sit and eat whilst characters from the houses and from the scare zones are taking pictures with you and interacting with you and you know it's a really cool additional thing that they offer but if you are just going for one night and you do want to get stuff done you're not going to be able to take advantage of stuff like that and that's quite reasonably priced as well so that's like fifty dollars and like I don't really tend to do character dining at Disney but is it around a similar price at Disney to do a character dining I imagine maybe it's more expensive I don't know actually not sure about that Hmm. I mean, I know when I see people going to like Cinderella's table, um, that's that's quite a bit more expensive than fifty dollars. But I think fifty dollars for as much food as you want, pretty much, and the great interactions that you're going to have with the characters is worth it. But another thing that you could do if you were super desperate to get everything done in one night is an R.I.P. tour. So. If you wanted to do a kind of public RIP tour, so where you're going to share your group, you could. They the prices start at like one hundred and sixty dollars. So if there's just maybe one or two of you, you could pay that on top of your theme park ticket, though, on top of your event ticket, even. But that will ensure that you get led straight to the front of the queue. So it's not like the express pass where you're going to wait for about half of the the length of time that the queue is. You're going to get led straight to the front of the queue. And you're going to have a personal guide to talk to you about the event, talk to you about the backstory of the houses. And basically, you can you can run that night. With the public tour, it's a little bit hard to do exactly how you want to do it. But, you know, you can have discussions with your group and see what exactly what you guys want to do and what you want to get out of the night. But that's another thing that we'll always suggest to people who do want to get it done in one night. And me and Chris are going to do one this year. Yep. Very excited about it. Yep, we will be. It's going to be awesome. But then we have things that you can do during the day, which won't eat into your house time, which is the Behind the Screams tours. So that's where you can go and have a tour of the houses with the lights on, and you can take pictures, no videos, Sam. And... A guide will give you the complete backstory of the house and show you all of the hidden little things that you might not see, regardless of how many times you're going to walk through the houses in the light. And I think these are really, really interesting. I think they're not for everybody. Not everybody's going to want to do something like this. And But again, I think that these are reasonably priced. Like, you can do a three-house tour for about $80, and a six house tour, I think, is about $130 or $140. So I think that's amazing value. And I don't think that you'd ever get anything like that. I know that it's hard to compare it to Disney because Disney doesn't do the same kind of thing. But I couldn't even think of any anything that's that interesting. And that's a long tour. That's an entire an entire day tour for the six house one. I can't think of anything that Disney would do for that amount of time for quite so little money. I don't. Maybe I just don't do enough of these tours at Disney. I don't know. 
But I do think that Halloween Horror Nights offers a lot of things that you might not know about. And there's, there's just a multitude of reasons why I think that just going for one night is doing yourself a bit of a disservice. So I always say two nights minimum to get the best out of it. I think, and again, I have to use my experience from last year and the fact that you're talking about two nights, which is essentially what we had. I think if you try and rush everything into one night, you'll get it done. But it's like rushing down a good meal. You don't enjoy it because you're mm-hmm. too you're you're too focused on making sure you you do everything. And the other problem as well is like when you do stay and scream, which is a, a a good benefit to have. Don't get me wrong, but you're normally doing it when it's still really bright outside because so it doesn't start to kind of get dark. And and even then, like just for the sun to really start to go down. To about half seven, eight o'clock. So it's still very bright when you go into like the houses, which are normally extremely dark. Mm-hmm. And the adjustment is really, really, um, you know, disconcerting. So I would say you really need to have, as soon as you that really need to have a decent dark pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Ones that really, really make everything around you look dull. Because when you first go into a house from broad daylight, like it really, like you don't get to see the detail properly because you're trying to adjust. And so, like I reckon, some of those houses, like um, we did scarecrow quite early on. I reckon that would have been even better if we went later on in the night. We did hive. I mean, it was definitely terrifying. Yeah. Oh no! Absolutely. Like we did hive. On the Saturday night, that was the one first house we used an express pass for. And because we used it about half past nine, at that point it was really dark outside. We'd done a few houses, so like we, we'd kind of got used to it. And, you know, so the detail and everything was, you know, you could really see everything clearly. When we did the same house at about six o'clock on the Sunday, like it was a different experience. I mean, not forgetting that those sprung tents have only just recently had ceilings put in. So if you went back, I don't know, two or three years ago, and you walked in there while it was still daylight, it'd be daylight inside those tents. Oh. So they, that's why I think they've had quite a bad rap over the years. But, you know, they seem to have resolved that now. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they definitely are very, very dark in there. Mm. But I think that as well, if you go in earlier in the day, so I know that we keep talking about stay and scream, all the time, but I think the stay and scream is such a benefit. I really enjoy seeing the scare zones in the daytime and then going back around and seeing them in the nighttime because much like doing an unmask and the horror tour, there's things that you know you'll walk past in the nighttime and you won't necessarily notice. But walking through in the day, things like the trick or treat scare zone, I'd spot something in the daytime and then I'd go back and then I'd look for that section or that piece again in the night to see it in its full effect because I'd know that it was there. And I think that's a really cool thing too. Like, don't get me wrong, the scare zones don't work fantastically in the daytime with things like trick-or-treat because obviously in the night we've got all the lit pumpkins and the kind of smoke effects and everything's like at its its best performance quality in the night because that's what it's made for. But you do get to see that 
more in-depth look at the scare zones. So I do think that Stay and Scream, if you don't know what Stay and Scream is and you're a new listener and you haven't heard us talk about it before, it's basically where if you've got a, a daytime park ticket, rather than you leave in the park at five when it closes and then come in back and queue in to get back in for the park open and back up again at 6.30 for the event, you can stay into specific sections of the park so they'll have one at Finnegan's they'll have one in the Hello Kitty area and they'll have one in the Simpsons area so you'll be kind of corralled into those areas and then you'll be let into houses before the park actually opens depending on where you are so if you're in the Simpsons area it tends to be those tented houses if you're in the Hello Kitty area it tends to be the very front houses at the park and if you're in Finnegan's, it tends to be things like Where the Shining was last year. So for, for those that want to do Stay and Scream this year for Stranger Things? You need to be in either Hello Kitty or Finnegan's. Because both of those ideally will let you go into those front houses. But if you were in Stay and Scream at the Simpsons, they barricade that, that half of the park off. So you can't go from the back of the park to the front until the park's actually open. So bear that in mind. And I was telling Ryan and Dan on Theme Park Trader, because you you do want to get so much done, kind of make yourself a little hype list of things that you are excited about and things that you know that you definitely want to get done first and that are a priority to you. So if Stranger Things and poltergeist are going to be the top two that you want to do you really need to be doing stay and scream in those areas if you're more into trick-or-treat and some of the original houses that'll be towards the back of the park go and do the simpsons stay and scream area but have a plan so phil i hope that that has answered your questions about tickets Mm. and if it hasn't tough because we spent 25 minutes talking about it Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. We've done it all. And this is, you know, approaching a two and a half hour episode. So. Uh, and I have some breaking news. Ah. Which I will say very quickly before I fall asleep. Um, it's just been uh, made aware to me that uh, Universal has applied to the United States Patent Office on August August 13th to extend or refresh the brand of Jurassic World to encompass newly built entertainment in the nature of themed areas or rides for amusement parks. Now, why this is interesting is it says new, but also one would assume the fact that they are going to be refreshing Jurassic Land... uh, is Jurassic Park. Park. Sorry, it's getting late. <laughs> very tired. Chris gets tired Park. drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Jurassic Park in um, Hollywood into Jurassic World, but one would assume that they've already uh, done all of the patents for that because that's happening very soon. So the fact that they've now renewed this patent and put new themed areas in amusement parks, etc., rides, does make you think that are they going to use Jurassic World somewhere else? Hmm. Well, interesting. They can't expand much in the area they've got now. I don't think. 
like where Jurassic Park sits now. And it takes up a lot of land, but unless you're going to completely take out the Jurassic Park attraction, I, I don't see, you know, what else you can really do within that area. I mean, they could get rid of Camp Jurassic, but then I'd be awfully upset. I honestly think, again, like, funny enough, like, Jurassic World was on TV tonight. So we watched a little bit of that before we started recording. Um, and the thing is, you know, they, they kind of referenced the fact that Jurassic Park was, you know, clearly its own thing. And that Jurassic World, you know, wasn't really affiliated with the, the sadness that descended upon Jurassic Park. You know, and the bad reputation it had. You know, it was almost like definitely shoehorning in that this is the start of something new. So I think there is enough of a reason to keep Jurassic Park as Jurassic Park and elsewhere on property, whether that's the third gate, you know, that we always talk about or or elsewhere, that they actually do a Jurassic World area. Different island so that means different, different, you know, ideas, mm. different concepts. So I think that's that's very interesting. I mean, how cool would it be if you was to get into one of those gyrospheres? And I know people moan about screens, but to say like the whole piece of glass was a giant screen, I would love that. And you get terrorized by dinosaurs, and you can have like them breaking it and going at you, and it's a bit like a roller coaster. I mean, that would just be phenomenal wouldn't it well you don't even need to do that do you because what what are universal excellent doing oh you're riding our latest technology vehicle the gyroscope 4000 which seats eight people do you know what i mean like it doesn't Mm. even need to be based on the concept of what you see in the film it could be the next generation version they already have jimmy fallon on the books so if they wanted to include him to be your on vehicle guide, I'm sure that won't be too much of a problem. But they could quite easily change the ride vehicle, you know, without much fuss. Mm. Just tell you it's the, it's the the newest, you know, the newest technology. Um, mm. But yeah, absolutely. I think I think that'd be great. I think a Jurassic World dark ride would be fantastic. I mean, I'm happy with anything as long as Chris Pratt's in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he'll still be a part of the franchise by the time that gets off the ground. Well, he's unemployed now. There's no more Guardians 3, so... That is true. Is that a fish? It's a um, fish that's been put on ice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been put on a definite, on definite hold. They're now going to replace that, I think, with uh, Doctor Strange 2 in mm. terms of what they were going to release when. So, mm. yeah, Guardians 3 is definitely... After what I said to you the other day, Amanda, Guardians 3 is mm-hmm. guns out. And so Jurassic Free, uh, Jurassic Free, uh, Guardians Free is definitely on ice. Thankfully, Chris yeah. Pratt is Jurassic World Free. I mean, I love Chris Pratt so much. Or, or, so. or, or, or is he in Jurassic World Free? Because what happens to him in Jurassic World 2? Oh, I don't know because I haven't seen it yet because I'm too scared to watch it in case I cry. You'll cry at how bad it is. Mm. Um, <laughs> if you listen well, to Martin Chris's review. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because we went into that, me hating it Just... and Nick loving it, and we both ended up being... <laughs> oh. more so than me, I think. Didn't even need to twist my arm. I realised how much I was holding back. Um, <laughs> but no, I think I think that would be a, a, a great addition. And regardless, I mean, the fact is, you know, 
my missus today actually asked me how she forgot Jurassic World 2 had even come out because she hadn't seen it. She was like, I don't have no. one of these yet. I was like, yeah. She said, have you seen it? I was like, do we not talk anymore? Um, <laughs> do you even know me? Yeah. But um, I, I checked out the box office numbers and I think Jurassic World 2 is, at, uh, I think it was at 1.2 billion. So, okay, really? Yeah. So Jurassic World, I mean, not that, you know, Jurassic World 3 wasn't going to happen because they'd already kind of announced it, but um, that just cements how big that franchise still is. Well, I feel like I'm very much going to enjoy it. And the only thing that I'm worried about crying about is not how terrible I think the film's going to be. It's that I feel like dinosaurs are going to die in it, and that makes me sad. So that's the only reason that I haven't watched it yet. Well, I'm not emotionally stable enough to see dinosaurs dying. Do not watch The Land Before Time or <laughs> the series finale of Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. No. Oh, no. No. <laughs> that is a piece no. of dramatic fiction. Like, no. Like, that. still scarred from that one, so no. Um, but that's that's literally the reason why I haven't. But I do have two days off together this week. It's going to be like a little holiday. So I am genuinely going to sit and watch films whilst I prepare for my Orlando trip. Just make sure one of them's at least Avengers Infinity War. For God's sake, woman. It has see to it. be. It really, really has to be. And, and Sequest DSV. Oh. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend to you that I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amanda, you know, if you do watch uh, Jurassic World, if you, if, you're, if you have the ability to watch Jurassic World, uh, Fallen Kingdom, um, just think that after you've watched that film, if you need cheering up, if you do need cheering up, that you can always um, YouTube the intro to uh, Baywatch Hawaii. That is very true. Yeah. That is very true. And actually, I want to go and watch that right now. So let's end this episode. <laughs> so thank you so, so much for listening. I hope that you guys do genuinely like these long episodes because this one, I mean, we've been on the phone for three hours and 13 minutes so far. And I think we've been recording for, I want to say, two hours, 45 over that. So this is definitely a long one. Only 231. Yeah. Huh? Only 231. Oh, oh. The episode, oh wait. The episode will clock out at about to like once put adverts and music in and stuff like that it'll clock out about 235 oh, wait 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 sufficient. wait wait i forgot to press record oh no just talking to ourselves for two and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> imagine but if you guys are going to halloween horror nights soon we want to hear about it we want to hear about what tickets you've bought or what tickets you've bought in the past, whether stage screen works for you, or any kind of additional things that you've done at the event, like scare actor dining, RIP tours, and unmasking the horror tours, because we always like to hear stories from you guys. Please, please, please go and watch Luke's recent videos, because they are absolute masterpieces. They're fantastic. And please go and buy Chris's new book, because it's out a little bit earlier than expected, so we get a little sneak preview before anyone else does on Amazon. We'll post the link in the group so that you guys can go and buy it and then we'll all share our pictures of our fresh Halloween Horror Nights books. And hey, if you haven't already, you can always buy Chris's old book because only a few yeah, months old anyway. It. So It's just true. That is true. That is a, getting a very heavy book now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Make yourself a little Chris Ripley library and prepare yourself for your trip to Orlando and also... 
learn some history about the events over in Hollywood and in parks across the globe. I call mine my library. <laughs> I mean, I'll think of a cool name for mine Rip-bury. on the next episode. Ripbury, there you go. <laughs> okay, bye guys, see you next time. Yep, good night, Phil. Night, Phil. This episode was sponsored by Theme Park Trader. I'm assuming just because of how many times Manic gave him free plugs. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love Ryan and Dan. <laughs> Hello there, dear listener. Now, have you ever listened to a podcast and thought, oh, I'd really like to support those guys, but I just don't know how to do it? <laughs> well, then you're in luck. There are now two ways for you to be able to support us. The first is by going to our Spreadshirt page at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash After Dark Network. Here you can pick up t-shirts for all of the podcasts that we do. The other way is by visiting us at patreon.com forward slash disafterdark. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash disafterdark. Any money raised by buying some merchandise or pledging your support on Patreon means that we can keep producing more content for the After Dark Network. On behalf of the other After Dark Podcast Network hosts, we thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and thank you for your continued support. Dark Podcast Network.